This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Uh, the players and the, the reception they gave me last night when I was announced. Um, just the this university, this town, uh, there's not a place I want to be. Um, I've said that before. I've, I've never had an interest in leaving this place. Uh, means a great deal to me. Um, the, the community, the, the friends that I have, the relationships I've made as a, as a student athlete here, as a coach here, I'm just very appreciative to everyone involved. And I'm excited about this opportunity because I feel what we've done over the last couple years with Coach Smith and the the place he's left this program for me to take over is in great position. Um, and we are excited to keep this thing moving and compete at a championship level and a top 25 level. And that, that's the expectation. Well, it was official. Yesterday, Trent Bray announced new head coach of the Oregon State Beavers filling in for Jonathan Smith after he leaves for Michigan State. Would love to hear your thoughts and comments about it. Beavs fans, 503-417-7575. I'm Stephen Vaughn. I'm with Judah Newby. We're filling in for John Canzano on the bald face truth. Trent Bay would rather be nowhere else except for Corvallis. And top, top 25 is the expectations. We got a lot of audio from his press conference he just had about an hour ago. Uh, him and Scott Barnes were addressing the media, talking about a lot of different things, but... Uh, there were some really interesting comments that Trent Bray had that I felt were directed directly at Jonathan Smith. So we're going to play those a little bit later on in this segment. But uh, love to hear everyone's thoughts. 503-417-7575. Let us know if Trent Bray is the right guy. Is he the right hire? Is it the right move? Where's the future going to hold for Oregon State? Um, Judah, I want to bring you in real here real quick because you're always here with me. My man, Judah Newby. Um, Trent Bray. What would, you you listened to the press conference? Um, you know, we talked about Jonathan Smith and how he seemed a little nervous, almost more nervous than usual. Trent Bray, I thought, seemed very comfortable in his skin here at Oregon State. It was more like uh, kind of like what Jonathan Smith does when he was at Oregon State in Corvallis. Felt really comfortable. You know, what, what's your thoughts on the Trent Bray hire? What's your thoughts on Trent Bray's press conference that he had? And uh, you know, just is this the right move for Oregon State? Well, it makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, when we were talking about it on the show yesterday and and even Monday, you know, Gonzano had handicapped Bray as a pretty heavy favorite to get the job. I think he had in his column like a two to one favorite. I would have put minus money on it myself. Yeah, I would, I would have max bet that one. <laughs> but um, you know, they interviewed the seven candidates, and you know, you had other names on there: Brent Brennan, Paul Christ, etc. But you know, all roads kind of led to Trent Bray and it, it it was a logical hire only because like you if there was any ever a time to prioritize continuity and familiarity and stability it was this hire so that's what Trent Bray provides um also clearly the players are on his side and for whatever reason it doesn't seem like the players uh fully support Jonathan Smith's exit to Michigan State and there was some 
uh, there were some answers in Bray's press conference today that basically revealed a little bit of, um, you know, a little bit of unsettledness from Smith's exit and the way that he left. He didn't think it was handled right. He basically said as much. So uh, he had the players on his side. You're going to be able to keep some key defensive pieces around. I find it a little bit odd that he's not coaching the bowl game, whatever bowl game Oregon State gets, and we'll find that out Sunday morning around 10 o'clock or so probably because the uh, college football playoff rankings come out Sunday at 9 a.m., uh, so be ready, be on the lookout for that yeah. uh, when those come out after conference championship weekend. Uh, so it makes a lot of sense. And it also, you know, he said that he feels a sense of responsibility to the program and to the campus. And to me, that's a that's a key element, because even though Jonathan Smith, we thought bled orange and black. I mean, that was the narrative on him. Uh, he clearly didn't feel that sense of responsibility because yeah. as soon as push came to shove with, with testing said responsibility, he left. And Trent Bray said, yeah, I'm not going to be that way. Uh, I really want this job, and I want to be the man for it. And frankly, for Scott Barnes, it's an easy choice, I think. Yeah, no, and you're right on with that. I mean, because Jonathan Smith, I mean, even when he made the comments to Kanzano, like, you know, my agent's out there looking, there's always a thought in the back of my mind, like, he doesn't really want to leave Oregon State, does he? But it really seemed like with his departure and the way he talked at in East Lansing at Michigan State in his press conference, the way he tweeted out just like a little notes Thank you to Oregon State and Corvallis. In the press conference, he didn't really talk about you know a lot of the love. It was just like, hey, thanks, Oregon State, for giving me this chance. Maybe we were all wrong about Jonathan Smith. No, I don't hold it against him. I think it was a great move by Jonathan Smith to go to the Michigan State. He wants to coach at the top level because we still don't know where Oregon State's going to be, and I think that's the problem right now is where is Oregon State going to be in two to three years? Are they going to be in the Mountain West or are they going to somehow get into the Big 12 with ACC or some type of Pac-12 where, you know, Cal and Stanford don't want to be traveling all the way to the East Coast? Something, you know, there's a lot of things to be unsettled. But right now, Oregon State's still on the outside looking in and being in the Power 5 conference. But I think you're right with Trent Bray. Like, you're taking a risk, though. In the, you know, Trent Bray is not a home run hire, I don't think. And maybe I'm wrong on this. I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts. Uh, 503-417-7575, and Judah will get your thoughts as well. Like, he's been a defensive coordinator since 2022. Like, he's he's still a young coach, 41 years old. Like, he hasn't really had a lot of experience. Now, he was the interim head coach in Nebraska back in 2017 after Mike Riley got fired. He was the interim coach, I believe. Um, and, you know, then he came over to be Oregon State's linebacker coach and then the defensive coordinator the last one and a half seasons. But... I think it's still a little unproven of what Trent Bray can do as a head coach. I also think that the fact that he is a defensive mind, maybe that hurts a little bit in the world of college football and the world of just football in general. Like, There's not that many successful defensive head coaches anymore. You look at Washington State and Jake Dickert, like they started out hot and then they went cold. And you know, Think about the defensive guys. Dan Lanning, he is a defensive guy. Nick Saban, you know, he's a defensive guy. And Saban's also a legend. He's been around forever. I feel like the trend now in football, especially college football, is go after the hot offensive coordinator. Or is it with the opposite? And maybe that's the way to do it in, in Corvallis. you got to think differently. Maybe I'm maybe I'm way off on this. I just think that there's still a lot of questions on how good Trent Bray can be as a head coach. I don't disagree that it's not the right hire. I probably would have gone with Brent Brennan over Trent Bray just because I think there's more proof of performance. I followed that San Jose State program the last couple seasons. You know, They, they went undefeated in that COVID year, and they definitely weren't the most talented team. And I think they always coach up their guys really well. I think he's a really good coach. He understands Corvallis, but but you're probably right in this situation where you want to keep the cohesiveness. 
You want to keep a guy in that has been around the program for the last couple of years, since 2018, um, when Jonathan Smith got brought in. And it's a guy that, you know, he says the right things. And he kind of mentioned, like, this is my dream job. I don't, I don't want to leave and go anywhere else. This is where I want to be. I'm not leaving Corvallis. He said, you know, when times are tough, really just step up. Yeah, because I, I think this is, like I said earlier, this is the only university that I'd want to be the head coach at. Um, and there were other opportunities to go coordinate and do all that, which I love. I love coordinating and, and hands-on, day-to-day coaching. But the opportunity to lead this place, uh, especially, I, th- I think real leaders show up when times are hard. And we're, we're in a, a little bit of a tough situation with, with everything that's happened over the last year in college football. And to me, that made it so much more important that I, that I step in the fight and help this place. First of all, shots fired at Jonathan Smith. When times are tough, really just step up. They don't go away. He stepped up. Jonathan Smith left the day after the Civil War. Yeah, not the only shot at Jonathan Smith. But am I, am I wrong in thinking that's a direct shot at Jonathan Smith? You're not wrong. It was. And it was right. I think, you know, I mean, and look, we don't think Jonathan made the wrong decision, I guess, going to Michigan State, but he did abdicate some responsibility or he felt like he had no responsibility to the university to see it through a tough time, and he prioritized his individual trajectory over his university. 99% of people would do that, you know, and Trent Bray, it's not like he was a head coach with other offers. He was a defensive coordinator with only one chance to be a head coach at his alma mater. Like, to me... It all makes sense. But that being said, it is notable how deliberate Bray was in pointing out Smith's exit and saying, hey, I'm not that way. I'm not about that. That did not jive well with me. And I'm glad that I can fill a void left by a guy who um, exited in a way that I was not a fan of. And I, I'm ready to show some leadership. Like, yeah, true leaders show up when time is tough. Like, you didn't think, I mean, Jonathan Smith saw some tough times at Oregon State. <laughs> yeah, he got there when uh, Gary Anderson was there. But that's a winning line from Trent Bray today. Huge and, win. And I'm all for it. And that's the other thing. You said, is this a home run hire? You don't think it is. I don't think Oregon State's in the home run business. That's true. I think they're in the get-on-base business. Uh, maybe Mitch Canham could speak a little bit more to that. They need to get on base. They need to get some guys over. And the metaphor being, get a win. You know, like, Stay relevant. Stay relevant. Yeah. And Trent Bray is exactly that move. I really think it's a safe move. I, I don't see it as much of a risk from the standpoint of it, it's not for five to seven years like he's got to be it or else we'll fall out of national relevance. You're already going to fall out of national relevance in a way unless you end up playing some some good football. And we'll see what the schedule is. But I think Bray gives you as good a chance as any of the other candidates. I'm not as high on Brett Brennan as, as you are. But um, so I, I like the hire for Oregon State, and it just gives them a little bit of positive emotion at a time when they badly needed it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it, you know, I say it's not a Harmon hire, and you're right because, I mean, it, it could go bad, but how bad can it really get? I mean, Oregon State's already pretty much relegated to the Mountain West. Like, it can't get any and worse. They're coming off a ten and an eight win season, like that's not that's still not bad. Like, it can get worse from there, but it's not like you're inheriting the Gary Anderson <laughs> stuff. And Corey Hall being held without a conference. Hey, Corey did a bang up job during the time he was here. Um, <laughs> but you talk about Trent Bray uh, not having any other offers to be a head coach. He did have an offer to be a defensive coordinator, and he mentioned it in his press conference. Yeah, I truly believe we can we can continue to build a leader a winner here. Um, I think we've proven to over the last couple of years to be capable of doing that. Um, I, I found out real late in the process, um, you know, and and it it didn't 
sit quite right with me, which is why I was in a, in a hurry to get on the plane when he asked me to go. Um, and then when I was presented this opportunity, I, I stayed even longer and wanted to hear this out and see where this could go and uh, best decision I've made. Rubbed him the wrong way, and uh, sounds like Jonathan Smith wanted him to come to Michigan State. He said no because he didn't like what Jonathan Smith goes about, which kind of correlates to what Damian Martinez was saying. Uh, you know, Jonathan Smith being a little untruthful. A lot of Oregon State players have come out and kind of said that. Led, you know, it was kind of a hidden thing that Jonathan Smith never made any mention of this and just left basically in the middle of the night, right after the Civil War, and he was gone. So, Judah, I don't know, man. It, it, this seems like a real. Uh, Real dicey situation in Corvallis. Like, Jonathan Smith, I don't think, like, it's going to hurt his reputation in the long run. But, man, I think in the short term right now, it, like, there are a lot of upset Beaver fans. And I think Trent Bray is at the front of it. Like, it really sounds like he did not like the way that this whole thing went down. Now, he's very happy about it, right? He gets upgrade. He gets to be the head coach of his alma mater, a place where he's very comfortable, had a great career. But, man, Jonathan Smith... Seems like he really uh, messed up this whole situation and really, you know, fumbled it when you look at Trent Bray. Now he's kind of capitalizing on it and really getting a W in his press conference. Yeah, I mean, but Jonathan Smith still has the better job at the end of the day, you know, but he's got a lot of work in front of him at Michigan State. And I'll be interested to see, does he end up going the way of Mike Riley, Dennis Erickson, uh, even some of the Duck coaches that have left? And where their next move after leaving Eugene or Corvallis, respectively, has fallen flat? In, in pretty major public ways. Mm-hmm. If Jonathan Smith fails, I mean, then he's just in a in a group with the rest of them of coaches that have uh, that have left the state of Oregon and have not done nearly as well. Um, so in in that sense, yeah, I think the jury is still out on whatever final narrative we're going to get out of Jonathan Smith. At the very least, Stephen, like it's pretty clear we didn't really know Jonathan Smith the way that we thought we did, at least in full in totality. Um, like we knew that he had a lot more edge and competitive fire and, um, you know, he was out to win. We, we could get that sense pretty, pretty early, but I think we conjured up the narrative of his undying loyalty to Corvallis a little too much because it was almost so obvious. And at the end of the day, he really didn't feel the loyalty to Corvallis. He didn't really feel endeared to the community to the, to the point of like, this is the place for me. He said in his Michigan State presser, like, I've been looking for the next step for a while. He said, like, conference realignment, sure, that that was going on, but that wasn't a major deciding factor. I was always looking for the next step. But do you— And that's that's pretty striking to me. Because he did say that, right? He said the Pac-2, the conference realignment was not a big factor in him leaving. I don't necessarily believe that. I just think it's hard to say, like, yeah, that's that's a big reason why. But I don't know, Judah, like— at the end of the day, he got he got over two million dollars more to leave, right? Like he he yeah, for more. now he'll probably get more as yeah. the contract proceeds. Yeah, like I I don't know I find it hard. Like I don't want to blame him for leaving. Like I, I think he made the right choice for whatever you know if it, that's what he wants to do. He wants to coach at the highest level. Great, but if you're a Beaver fan, like you're a diehard Beaver Judah, are you upset with Jonathan Smith? Like are you going to hold this against him until he finally makes public statements about how you know sorry he is or he gets fired and he wants to come back to Oregon State and says he was wrong like no, are you holding I, grudges I, I yeah yeah i'm holding grudges if you're, i don't, if you're I don't blame fan, him i don't blame him for doing it but that doesn't mean you got to be 100% okay with it either like i can be i you know if i'm a diehard b fan i can be in conflict with it i can criticize it and i can also not blame him for it like all those things can be true at the same time he didn't have to stay at Oregon State. I get him leaving, but 
I think the way that he left was clearly problematic. Um, and he was trying to be his most truthful moment came with John Kazano on Wednesday's show last week. Outside of that, there wasn't anything anything truthful to speak of, especially the way he handled it internally, the way it, it's come across since, especially the way Trent Bray's talking about it. So, I don't know. He definitely left some room to be criticized fairly, even though, objectively, I do understand, I comprehend the decision to leave for Michigan State, but, man, I think he could have handled it in a lot better way, even though he, he did his best to be truthful in one interview last week. Yeah, and uh, you know, Trent Bray was asked today, you know, what the next steps are and if he's going to have to mend some of those fences with those players because there's players that, you know, have expressed disappointment with how John DeSmith uh, attached, or, uh, attacked this whole situation. Uh, here is Bray's response at the press conference today announcing Trent Bray as head coach of the Oregon State Beavers. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the good thing is I have experience in this field. Um, as a player, I, had a, I went through a coaching change where we won too many games and our coach took off. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so I have some experience in that. And, yeah, there, there's initial anger and, and all those things, but I, I think it goes back to the trust that's built over time that I've been fortunate enough to build with a lot of these guys. It's, it's a little easier to mend those fences when there's trust and belief that's already here. So it, it, it hasn't been too hard. Conversations have been really good. They like it here. Um, I, I mean, I'll give Coach Smith a ton of credit. He, he built a great program where these kids feel valued and, and welcome. And so every player on the team. So we continue to to push that forward, that that kind of culture that the team has, um, and and hopefully take it to the next step. Uh, and Trent Bray, they, they, the Oregon State Twitter account, social media, they put out a video showing Trent Bray addressing the team right after he had been chosen six o'clock about last night, uh, right in the in the ble- in the Beavers, you know, uh, scouting room type of thing. You know, their big big room where everyone's there, and. Um, in the video that Oregon State put out, clear shot, Judah, of Damian Martinez embracing Trent Bray with a big hug, a big smile, front and center. And we've talked about that. Damian Martinez seems like he is all in with Oregon State. He's going to be coming back. That's what he says. And I think that's the next step right now for Trent Bray. Um, as he won't be coaching the bowl game, which I've reached out to some people asking what that is about. Uh, and the fact it's the fact that he has to go out and he has to recruit. He has to kind of get his program ready, get the coaches and coaching staff in order, try to recruit the players that are already on the team, recruit new players coming into the program. There's a lot of things he has to do first before he focuses on the bowl game. Trent Bray uh, talked about how he won't be coaching the bowl game because he doesn't feel like he'll be able to give the 100% into this bowl game that they deserve. Now, he'll be around. He'll be helping out. He'll be talking to the players and everything, but... You know, I think it's the right choice not to do that based off what I'm hearing. Like, got to get everyone in line. I think there's going to be a lot of talks, a lot of conversations between him and the players of why should I be staying in Corvallis now that Jonathan Smith's leaving? You're a defensive guy. He was an offensive guy. Like, there's a lot of things to talk about. But it seems like right now, Judah Trent Bray, uh, seems he knows what he's doing by trying to keep these guys in Corvallis. Yeah, and fired up that Martinez is staying. Like, that is an NFL back, no yeah. question about it. So to get one more year of him after six yards of carry this year, it's awesome. So okay, hey, well, at we least ta- you get that to look forward to. When we to. talked about Aiden Childs, how he would be a culture builder at Michigan State, Damian Martinez is that in Oregon State. He was that culture builder these last two seasons, and now with Trent Bray, the physical style that he's going to want to play. He, he's a perfect guy to have that. Same with the offensive line. I mean, uh, between Gray and Fuaga, Fuaga at right tackle. 
like he's going to be an NFL dude for sure. Uh, Levin good was banged up all year, but that that offensive line, the whole running game, that was so good. Hey, maybe DJU comes back. <laughs> like you, you absolutely never know. Maybe he decides that uh, you know he wants to be the bridge quarterback again uh, into from Smith era to Bray era. We'll see who the offensive coordinator is going to be. I'll be interested to see how Bray goes about building this staff. If he just kind of promotes from within, you know, all, all his buddies, or if he goes out of, uh, you know, out of the market a little bit to to bring a different style, because we've been accustomed to a certain style of Beaver football for a while now, and Bray has an opportunity if he so chooses to to branch away from that and try to bring his own style uh, to the program, at least on the offensive side of the ball, because we already know that he's going to be an aggressive son of a gun on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, he uh, he did say that he's going to go out and really prioritize the offensive side of the football, coaching staff-wise, because he said he feels comfortable with the defense. Like, he could sell the defense to anybody, but it's the offensive side which he needs help on. And so he's going to go would, out. Yeah, who would a good who would a good hire for that be? I, I don't know. I want, like, Paul Chris comes to mind only because, like, obviously he interviewed for the gig, but I wonder if that's a soft landing for Paul Chris if he just be his offensive coordinator at a uh, kind of nomadic Oregon State right now. Now, I, you know, I said if he was the head coach, it wouldn't be inspiring. I would say that's an inspiring offensive coordinator hire if Paul Chris yeah, comes It's up. nice. Yeah, it's I nice. It's really good. You, you feel really do, good about that. You could do a lot worse. You could do a lot worse than Paul Chris. And here's the thing, Judah. Oregon State's going to be good next season. Like, it's not like they're going to be bad. And you look at the schedule that they're going to have. They haven't come out yeah. with it yet. But they're going to have some decent players coming back as long as Damian Martinez is back. You know, who's going to be office coordinator? How to get him the ball? Trent Ray talked about uh, next season already. He thinks college football playoff with it expanding. Oregon State's right in it. I hope it's a big one because I, I truly believe it with, with uh, you know, what we've done, the the players that are in this building right now, we are we are more than capable of – get into the college football playoff with this expansion next year and we're excited to go out on the field and do it and I think they're excited to to take that step with me and I'm excited to take it with them lofty expectations but you know what Trent Bray confident guy is Trent Bray is announced as the new head coach of the Oregon State Beavers love to hear you guys thoughts 503-417-7575 call in let us know what you think I'll head out to the phones right now James is in Eugene James what's going on man and then I've got to push back a little bit on Michigan State being a better program. Because you're making more money doesn't make you a better program. They got, they were 4-8. and eight. They got smashed by Penn State. They barely beat Indiana, got smashed by Ohio State, barely beat Nebraska, lost to Minnesota, smashed by Michigan, lost to Rutgers, smashed by Iowa, Maryland smashed them, Washington smashed them, and two of their wins were against Richmond and Central uh, Michigan. So this this program has not been relevant or good in at least five, six, seven years. So, But when they were I'm relevant, they made the college football playoff. Michigan State? They were in the college football playoff. They didn't score. When was that? Yeah. <laughs> Connor Cook era. <laughs> okay. But, I don't, was there a playoff at that point in time? Yeah, they, they were a four seed, but they got housed by Bama. But I think your point is well uh, taken. Either way, the, the, my point is that even before that, they had a good year here and there. And they'd have a bad year here and there, so they're not not like they he left for a you know. And also, you're you're a you were a big fish in a small pond, and you're going to yeah. be a, a small fish in a big pond. I mean, the the Big Ten next year is going to be brutal. So, good luck to Jonathan, but I don't think it was a better situation. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair, James. You know, and I appreciate the call. That's a great point. I mean, well, I will say, like, of course. 
2023 Michigan State isn't as good as 2023 Oregon State. Right. But that's not what makes a, some some place a better job or not. How they did in one year when they literally fired a coach, tried to bottom out and buy him out, and then uh, deal with litigation for four and a half months. Yeah, I mean, if we like go that, like that's not what Michigan State is each and every year, pretty clearly. Like you know, long term, they're in the Big Ten conference. They've had good seasons. They've got a massive donor base. They've got way more NIL funds than Oregon State. Like not close. Right. Uh, so it really is actually a pretty you know, easy, you know, advantage for Michigan State right now. But, of course, on the field this past year, they weren't as good, but that's not what makes a better program or not. No, and I agree. Yeah, that's what I'm, That's what I was going to say is the investments in Michigan State football and in, in Michigan State athletics, just the money there is so much more than it is at Oregon State and Corvallis. But to James' point, you play them on the field, sometimes it doesn't matter, and you don't need all the money. And Oregon State would definitely crush Michigan State at this moment, but you give them two, three years – with Jonathan Smith there, with the money that they're going to be pouring into that program, the fact that they're in the Big Ten and Oregon State is maybe still in the Mountain West-ish, whatever that conference is, the Pac-2, the Tupac, Tupac. I don't know, man. I I, I feel like Michigan State still is a higher prioritized job, and it will be. But uh, I mean, to James' point, like, yeah, Michigan State has been a dumpster fire, and it's going to take a lot, I think, for Michigan State to get out of it uh, with Jonathan Smith. 503-417-7575, call in, let us know what you think of Trent Bray being named the new head coach of the Oregon State Beavers and what the future looks like down in Corvallis. Uh, when we come back, Scott Barnes, he was at the press conference as well. He talked about the Oregon State schedule a little bit. And I want to know how mad should Oregon State fans be at Jonathan Smith and if they can ever forgive him. Does this really take a hit on his legacy down in Corvallis? I got some thoughts on that. This is the Bald Face Truth. I'm Stephen Vaughn with Judah Newby. Bald Face, New- Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Stephen Vaughn, Judah Newby, Bald, Face Truth, filling in for John Canzano as he's getting ready for the Pac-12 championship game between Oregon and Washington on Friday. Man, that should be a good one. Winner likely to make it to the college football playoff. I think even if Georgia were to lose, Oregon's still in. But that's the whole of the debate. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But I do want to talk about this, Judah. Trent Bray announced as the new head coach of the Oregon State Beavers after the departure from Jonathan Smith. Um... Scott Barnes obviously was at the press conference as well as they had that down in Corvallis. He got asked about the schedule for next season, and I think this is a big, big issue right now for Oregon State. They got to figure out what exactly they are going to do going forward because right now, you know, being in the 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 alignment with the Mountain West that they got, Washington State, the Pac two, I think that's one of the big reasons why Jonathan Smith wanted to leave. I truly think that like. Jonathan Smith would have stayed at Oregon State if they were guaranteed to be in the Pac-12, if they were in the Big Ten, if they were in the Big 12. But the fact that it's unknown and the fact that they don't they don't have a guaranteed spot you know, for a conference championship into the college football playoff, I think really hurt Jonathan Smith, and it really affected his reason why he wanted to leave. He wants to coach in the biggest biggest, biggest games. He, he said that in his press conference. And when you're playing Boise State, you're playing San Diego State, you're playing San Jose State, those aren't the biggest games. And I think that's a big reason why Scott Barnes was asked about the schedule. This was his uh, answer today at the press conference just about an hour and a half ago. Yeah, a little bit like herding cats uh, right now, but um, very soon. Um, it, it's uh, a model that would be six group of five, five power fives, and then an NFCS, which, uh, as, as Trent and I have talked about, is a really exciting path to, to an expanded playoff uh, potential spot. Um, 
what will happen is we'll have an announcement of a bulk of that soon. And then until the ink dries, you don't really can't really announce games. So there'll be a couple that trickle in afterwards. So you'll, you'll hear an announcement very soon on a portion of that. Uh, yeah, announcement coming soon. Sounds like by the end of the week, probably before the transport opens, which is on Monday. I think that's going to be very important to get you know the players in there, figure out what exactly happens. But, Judy, if that's the schedule, if that's what they're planning on going with, uh, you know, the Mountain West schedule, and then six, six, you know, six schools Mountain West or below, and then the five Power Five conferences, and then the one FCS game. Is that good enough? Is that good enough going forward for Oregon State, or do they need to shoot? Or is that is that you know is that a way to get back into the Power Four realm? I guess because I think that's the ultimate goal for me. Like as a guy on the outside looking at Oregon State, kind of a fan of Oregon State, I want them to get back into the Power Four conferences somehow. I don't know if this keeps them relevant enough to do that, even if they're winning 10, 11 games and they can make college football playoffs in the expansion. You're not playing great competition. Half your games are against lesser of the competition. Is this, is this good enough? But I mean, I don't know what the other options would be. People keep saying we're going to put ourselves in a position for the next wave of realignment. I don't really know when the next wave of realignment's coming. You know, I, is it inevitable that we're going to get another wave of realignment in 2024, 2025? I don't really know. I think if you're Oregon State, you're banking on the fact that there will be another wave of realignment. And when that happens, you'll be able to vault yourself into relevance and, and mattering, or whatever that looks like, getting into the Big 12, Big 10, whatever. I don't know. Um, or just massive changes to the way conferences are structured at all. Between now and then, I mean, I think this is the best that you can do. Six Mountain West uh, games in five Power Five games. Now, who would be the Power Five opponents? And really, we're, this is Power Four in Washington State, right? I mean, right. Th- that's what it is. So, I mean... It's definitely one Wazoo game. I mean, I don't know about the Oregon game, you know, at this point. with Now that Smith is gone, and clearly he was staunch on wanting to make sure that was a home-and-home affair with the Duckies. I don't know if Trent Bray is as committed to that or not, or if he's like, yeah, give me Oregon as my second Power 5. Maybe we can get a game with Dub in there as well. Maybe we can um, get a game with one or two other, you know, Power 4 teams or play Washington State twice. I don't know. By the way. Jake Dickert still at Washington State. The way that he was speaking a couple weeks ago, I thought that he would be out the door by now. I thought he would have been ripping, gone way before Jonathan Smith. <laughs> ripping Wazoo's NIL efforts, funding collective, and all that. He's got a quarterback that's already got one and a half feet out the window, grabbing a million dollars somewhere. Could be Oregon, Cam Ward. Mm. Uh, we'll see about that. But I think the schedule is about as good as Oregon State can do. I think it will only matter if they – not only make the playoff, they've got to win a game in the playoff for this to matter, to to become relevant nationally. Like, it's one thing to be like, oh, we want to get to the playoff, that's great, but you got to win a game to get some damn respect around here in this world of college football. And whatever that looks like, they won't be a top-four seed, even if they go undefeated. You know that. But will they still be in a position that, you know, they can get another strong team in a power-four conference in a college football playoff game? Like, that's the bar. It's a high, high bar, especially for a first-year head coach. But that's the stakes. You want to matter nationally? You got to not only get to the playoff, you got to win a game on national TV, on ESPN, in the playoff in order to truly matter. So hopefully they'll be able to do that, but that's a tall, tall task. And, uh, look, I'll give I'll give Oregon State some credit for this one. Like, they reacted really quickly to this news of Jonathan Smith leaving, right? You know, 
with the transfer portal coming up, they had to, but they did a good job of doing it and saying, you know what? No, Trent Bray is the guy. Let's get him hired. Let's get him in the spot. Let him go to work because we need to figure this out. Do, like, you, do you think the interview process was um, performative? I think the interview process was, hey, Trent, do you want the job? <laughs> yeah. You're in on Oregon State? Cool. Let's, like, let's he, get you in they here. always wanted to get Trent. I think so. Is what it seemed like and felt like. Now, whether or not the other interviewees felt that, I don't know. But, you know, to me, it just makes almost too much sense. Like, you know, seven candidates, great number. You know, that's the one that you want to float out to all the reporters. You know, we did our due diligence. But at the end of the day, you know that Trent Bray was the most logical fit for this particular role. So I think Scott Barnes' decision was easy. Also, as we said yesterday, I think Scott Barnes knew Jonathan was leaving for a while. At least that possibility and that potential. Like, Really, the guy that we should be talking more about is Jimmy Sexton. Like, he's the guy that's pulling all the strings and making all the calls and connections and all that. I'm sure he was talking with Scott, and Scott knew the Michigan State offer was on the table weeks ago. I and, agree. And man. and so the fact that he moved quickly, yeah, I mean, good, good for him, but he better have moved quickly because he knew that this was a possibility for a long, long time. And all the back-channeling that you can do over a, over a month to make sure that you set up your interviews and your candidates and get everybody in place, like... The, that, I'm, I'm glad he did, but he was he did what he was supposed to do in this scenario, and they landed on a guy that I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, you give Scott Barnes a lot of credit because it does seem like he was right on it, but to your point, he would have had to been aware of something happening. Like, you couldn't have got all these yeah. interviews set up, all the you know everything all in line within a couple of days. Because think about that. I mean, he, Jonathan had left on Saturday. Like, that's when he, 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 told, you know, he supposedly told everybody was Saturday, yeah, I'm out. And now it's, what, Wednesday? And he already has a head coach hired? Like, he... He had a, he had a plan ready to go yeah. for when this was announced. He had he had points one through ten. Here's how we're gonna do it. Once uh, once Jonathan leaves, go. And he uh, and he absolutely did. And he moved in a hurry. And and they did a good job with that. Um, but at the same time, like yeah, I don't think they. I don't think it is a big risk. I think no. it's a guy that makes a lot of sense and, and is is a good fit. But there is a little bit of an unknown with how good he is. But guess what? Hey join the team. You're in a team of unknowns at this point. Well, a whole program of unknowns. Yeah, that's the thing. It's just so unknown. At least there's something that they Oregon State can fall back on and say, look, this is a guy that played at Oregon State. He loves Oregon State. You know, I know Jonathan Smith played there and said he loved it, but you know, this one, I'm, maybe I'm going to sound naive again, Judah. This one seems different <laughs> with all these coaches. This one seems a little different with Trent Five Bray. Five years from now, Trent Bray is going to go take, a, take an NFL job somewhere and be like, oh, this was the one for me. Yeah, coach at the highest competition. Which trust me, be. you know what? I think Oregon, Oregon State fans would take that right now. I think so, too. and I, that, I Because that means that your team was successful. And it's just, you know, with all the unknowns of Oregon State, at least they know, hey, Trent Bray is in it for at least the, the near future, right? And it's something that we could build upon and be stable off of. Uh, so, yeah, I do tell you, man, there's like at, going into this year, if we just zoom out a little bit and just we were talking about the Ducks and Beavs on parallel planes. You know, this was the year that Oregon State could maybe win in Eugene for the first time since 07. This was the year that the Ducks and Beavs could be talked about similarly in terms of mattering nationally and competing for a Pac-12 title. They couldn't feel more far apart four months later. It just and that's wild. But it also, you know, credit to Dan Lanning for what they've done this year. But I I guess I didn't realize or didn't take seriously enough, you know, the potential of Jonathan Smith bolting after an 8-4 season. It was just a punch gut of when it happened. I mean, right after the game, the rumors, I mean, Angie Machado tweeted out, what, like an hour before the game that he basically was going to Michigan State, I believe. That, that's what it was. And there was that just kind of resonating over the entire game. Like, it just... 
Well, that's why we both liked Ducks laying the points. We did, yeah. Well, I mean, when the Beavs were a beaten team going into kickoff, when they were the, done. When Smith made the comments of, "Yeah, my agent's out there looking," I think I got on the mic to you, you know, off air, and I just said, "Ducks by a million. Yeah, like, exactly. The, I mean, it just, and it, you know, it's not as if Jonathan Smith wasn't prepared for the game. wasn't like he wasn't preparing. It's just you can only have so much brain space. It's a rule of college football. If your coach is thought to be leaving, you're going to lose the next game by a lot. A lot of points. And that's what it, I mean. The line oh. couldn't have been high. For me, it was ducks by a million when Dan Landing came on and started joking about urinals in Reezer Stadium. That, to that me, too. that was, yeah. when he did that, I was like, ducks by a million in this game. It's like he knew something. He knew, he knew Oregon had, had their him. number. They had him. They had him dead to rights. Jonathan knew it. Dan knew it. And frankly, it could have been worse than 31-7. It should have been, yeah. I think he let his foot off the gas a little bit there. For sure. Um, speaking of Angie Machado, who tweeted out that you know Jonathan Smith was leaving, she was uh, on a podcast earlier today talking about Jonathan Smith's legacy at Oregon State, how it may take a hit. I, I don't know if I agree with this, but here's what Angie Machado said. Yeah, you know, it, it, and I think Beaver fans have went from being kind of stunned and hurt to um, moving on and, and looking to, to replace it. Um, it's, it's been kind of a whirlwind and to hear some of the things coming from coach Smith, I think some Beaver fans are, it, it's tarnishing his legacy a little bit in Corvallis and in the fact that, you know, he's now saying he, it wasn't the collapse of the PAC 12. He just wanted to move. It wasn't money. Um, so, um, yeah, there's, there's some, I think hurt feelings with players, with, with boosters, with, with the community. And it just really probably wasn't handled the best way. And maybe this is just my, not being a diehard fan of pretty much anybody, but I don't get that. What Jonathan Smith did in Corvallis cannot be taken for granted. The guy came in when Oregon State was in a terrible position with Gary Anderson. I mean, think about how bad that was that first game when they played at Ohio State. They looked so much better than we all thought they looked in that game, and they still lost, what, 70-something to 20. And think about that's where the program was and now where the program is at. And we're just gonna be mad because he left for more money? Like I don't know, I can't I can't get on board with this of saying it's tarnished his legacy a little bit. The guy won Fiesta Bowl as a player. The guy came back when nobody wanted the job in Corvallis. He took the job when nobody wants it, and he elevated them to a top twenty-five program, a team that we thought had a legitimate chance to win the Pac-12 this season. Won ten games this last season. Was right in the game with Washington. Uh, had they won that game, they're still competing for the Pac-12 title. Like, I don't know, Judah, maybe, and I think that's just me not being a diehard sports fan of, like, any team. Maybe if I went to Oregon State and I was alumni, I'd feel different. But I can't get on board with this of the legacy takes a hit because he just left for a different job. Like, the guy did so much as a player and as a coach for Oregon State. Yeah, I, but that's the thing about legacies is that, you know, Jonathan Smith did so much as a player and as a coach. He did his job. I mean, what's your job description when you're the head coach? Like, and he did know, it really well. And he did it really well. But there's still a manner in which he left that gives you a sour taste. I think I think the legacy point's totally on point, to be frank. Like, it's a, it's a very weird feeling. Like, because he hasn't been that emotional about his words toward Oregon State. And, you know, maybe it's just the fact that he's not that good with words. But I don't know. I feel like there's a little bit of, you know... Or removed objectivity, as it were. Like, he, he is not speaking from the heart about Corvallis. To me, that's the wrong move. I don't know if somebody's Do in his ear saying... you eventually will? Yeah, I think so. I think he'll come on with Canzano at some point and, and give the definitive interview. Um, I don't know if that will be before the Oregon game next October. Mm. 
um, or if it will be sometime in the off season. Maybe it will be, frankly, at Big Ten Media Day when John goes out and covers it for uh, for the Ducks, and Jonathan will be there. Now that um, John has to cover like four different conferences. Yeah, or, or it might be you know ten years from now because frankly, Jonathan might still be given the coach speak that he always gives, you know, at some of those other events, but. I was surprised. Like, he got really choked up talking about his family. I thought that was a really nice moment. But it feels to me like someone is in his ear. Maybe it's Jimmy Sexton's people. Maybe it was the, you know, hiring firm at at Michigan State that said, don't mention Oregon State. Don't dwell on talking about Oregon State because they're just a bad brand right now. you got to unhitch yourself from them from a branding standpoint. Like, disassociate yourself from them ASAP. Michigan State fans don't want to hear about how you loved Oregon State. They want to hear about how much you're you're fired up to be here in East Lansing right now. It seems like he's getting that strategy, that advice in his ear. And I think it's the wrong advice. The better move would have been to be transparent, to say how you feel, if he indeed feels emotionally about leaving Oregon State. And he did not do that. And I thought it did him a disservice, especially for the fans here and for the legacy point. It does impact the legacy in my mind, the way that it's been handled. It doesn't take away from the effort that he put in, but the effort is what you're paid to do. Like Gonzano always says, the Mad Men scene, that's what the money is for. So no, just because Jonathan Smith did a good job as a head coach at Oregon State doesn't mean fans shouldn't be upset. They should be upset, and I'm totally fine with that. Fair enough. Uh, and with that, we'll take a break, and when we come back, we've got the big splash, the one thing you need to hear every single day. We bring it to you next segment on the Bald Face Truth. Bald face true, Stephen Vaughn, Judah Newby in for John Canzano. Big news happened right after the show. Trent Bray announced as the new head coach of the Oregon State Beavers. Next up for the Beavers, they got to figure out what they're going to do with all the coordinators and assistant coaches, how they keep the players on the squad. But Trent Bray is the guy down in Corvallis. I think a lot of Beaver fans are happy about it. It seems like the right fit at the time, just the uncertainty. Uh, but we will see going forward. But as we do every day, Judah, we do the big splash. It's the one thing you need to know. This is the big splash. Brought to you by Killer Burger. Voted best burger five years in a row. Killer Burger's 10 rad burger builds will send your taste buds on an epic journey. Killer Burger, the burgers your mama warned you about. Well, the big splash today is uh, Aaron Rodgers, the guy who can never get out of the news. He's always in the news somehow. But Aaron Rodgers, 79 days ago, on that first game of the season, I believe three plays into it, tore his Achilles tendon for the New York Jets. He has returned to practice and was practicing with the players today, opened up the 21-day period to return. Now, it's not known if he's going to return or not, but head coach Robert Sala was talking about Aaron Rodgers returning to the team. He loves this organization. He wants to be with his teammates. He wants to be here. I think he's uh, sacrificed so much already for the organization and himself and his teammates, and he's doing it again. Um, I think it's a testament to who he is as a human. And, yeah, obviously there's – a little bit of that drive where he he wants to prove that it could be done faster than anyone's ever done it before. That, that's okay. That's just part of his mental makeup. I think he still runs with the chip on his shoulder, and um, and that's the way he lives his life. Where uh, 
he always wants to prove people wrong in terms of doubting them, and he's a he's a special human, and I think he uh, his actions are showing and how much he appreciates I think this organization and everything around it. Now the Jets are four and seven on the season, according to ESPN Analytics, less than a one percent chance to make the playoffs. Bernardo Rogers has a chance to return, obviously, within the twenty one day period. I I can't see Aaron Rodgers coming back, but also at the same time. As Robert Sala just said, Aaron Rodgers is the type of guy that if you say he can't do something, he wants to go prove you wrong. It's kind of like um, it's kind of like when I'm you know with my son and I'm like, hey, I bet you can't put your plate in the sink, and then he does it because he doesn't want to be proven wrong, like he can't do it. Like I kind of feel like that's what it is. It's like Aaron Rodgers is hearing all the naysayers say, oh, you can't come back from a torn Achilles this season. He says, yeah, I can. Watch me, and he's gonna go out and do it, but. Dude, I don't. If if the Jets aren't in playoff contention, you know, within the next couple, let's say, let's say they don't win in that a game, and they're like four nine, no chance Aaron Rodgers comes back, right? Yeah, you wouldn't think so unless he's just trying to to prove a point of some kind. I don't know, man. I'm not a medical expert, obviously. Also, there's no way he tore his Achilles if he's That's back. What I'm seventy saying. something days back. What are we doing? Really? We're just gonna believe this? Full torn Achilles. 79 days ago, and he's out there practicing round surgery. 11 weeks back out of the practice field. As if it's, you know, as if it's no thing. What are we doing? We need a, we need a, a strained Achilles. We need a polygraph test on Aaron Rodgers. <sighs> Could have used that a while ago. Did you actually tear your Achilles? Because if he did, a lot, a lot if he of did, polygraph oh, moments man. with A.A. Ron. <laughs> if he really did, and he's back in 79 days, that Do you want to see him out there? Do you want to see him? Only if the Jets are good. it in week 16 against... If the, if the Jets are in playoff contention, yeah. If, if not, no. I'd rather just go Tim Boyle and rest him up for next season. Man, uh, that's, it's wild. I mean, it, it is crazy that he's back this fast to practice. Like, that is pretty wild. It's insane. Good for him. I, yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. You know, I have my maybe doubts. torn Achilles is, is not impressive then. I, I got my doubts. And that'll end our one. When we come back, we'll talk about the Oregon versus Washington Pac-12 title game. Ball face truth. Bald Face Truth, Steve Vaughn, Judah Newby here on a Wednesday, hour number two. We've got a big hour, too. We're going to talk some Pac-12 title game, punch it audio. I want to touch on the NBA in-season tournament. I know Judah's got a hot Seahawks take. <laughs> I'm going to let him go off. He's not happy with the Seahawks right now, I don't think. Not thrilled. He's not thrilled. The Seahawks have a big one on Thursday night. Of course, we'll have that on, uh, on 7.50 the game. Thursday Night Football, as we do all season long with the Westwood One. Seahawks-Cowboys, that's a big one, man. That's a, that's a big one. We'll talk about the Seahawks a little bit later. Um, I do want to start this out. You know, We talked the first hour, mostly Oregon State, Trent Bray being the head coach. But guess what? We got a game. We got a game on Friday. And it's not just any game. It's probably the biggest game of conference Championship games, I would say, Judas, that mm. or George Alabama, I think. Those I think, are the two best, without question. I think Oregon Washington has more implications because it's a win and you're in. Where if Alabama wins, or they, I guess Alabama's probably in. I don't know. I have no idea. No idea, but I think for sure, I think we can both agree Oregon Washington win and you are in the college football playoff. We got that is a big one. Spreading that one nine and a half points. Man, that is a lot of points. In a game like this, especially if you're Washington and you are undefeated, you've won 19 straight games, you're the nine-and-a-half-point dog? Well, Kalen DeBoer, he was on the Brock and Salk show. He talked about that. They asked him, hey, hey, coach, do you ever use the point spread as 
motivation? I know I would. Here's what Caitlin DeBoer had to say. Do you ever, have you ever utilized the uh, point spread as a motivator? Uh, yeah, I did a couple weeks ago. <laughs> so against Oregon State. So, um, yeah, we did. Uh, and and I, I, you can do that when you have a team that has enough belief in themselves, you know, where you can kind of play the us versus the world type thing or, you know, the the – um, just underestimated, uh, you know, undervalued type of type of way. But um, you know, that, that was, you know, our team is is uh, definitely not an arrogant team. We're but we're confident. You know, play with a swagger, and it's because we got guys that have been through a lot of experiences together. We communicate um, the good, bad, and the ugly um, after games, before games. Um, just we can be real with each other. I mean, I would definitely use it against uh, as motivation. Nine and a half point dogs, uh, the Huskies, on Friday against the Ducks. Uh, Washington is five, six, and one against the spread this season. So Vegas kind of got them right on, mm. kind of where they're marketed. Oregon ten and two against the spread this season. Judah, I know they've had a couple backdoor covers that uh, did not work. Going back to the USC game, the Washington State game, I believe those are the two games they did not cover. And they were both backdoor covers. But I tell you what, if you're not going to cover a game, giving up the back door is a lot more impressive than, you know, keeping somebody around for 60 minutes. Yeah, I'm looking at their schedule now. Those are the only two games they did not cover. So very Both at home. Both at home. So maybe Vegas has still been underrating Oregon all season long. Well, what was the spare uh-huh. in the Utah game? Six and a half? It was six and a half, yes. I got that from memory. That's all right. There you go. They smashed those guys. Smashed them 35-6. What about the Arizona State game? That was a 25-point spread. Not close either. And that was a 36-point win. Covered by halftime and didn't look back against those guys. I mean, they're not to be messed around with. I mean, you think about it this way. Oregon State was favored. I know it was at Reese Stadium against Washington. They didn't open as the favorite. They didn't did open, they? but they finished up the game as the favorite against Washington. One and a half, one two. One and a half, two. One maybe in certain places. The next week, and I know the Jonathan Smith stuff was all out there, but Oregon was a 13.5-point favorite at home against Oregon State. Yeah. That says a lot, I think. And we couldn't lay it fast enough. We couldn't lay it fast enough with the way Oregon's playing. So why now— And the way Oregon State was trending. And now the way Washington's been playing, why why would I even question Oregon's, Oregon's outcome in this game? Like, that, What was the Apple Cup spread? It was uh, like 17 and a half. It or started at 17. I think it closed at 14, 14 and a half. And you said early in the week when it was around 17, you said Washington State is going to cover and they are live to win this game. That's what you said on the show. I, I did. And, and I, I was like, like yeah, I was really? right. you were so right. They should have won that game. And that that's going into your take right now, right? You think UW is flawed and they're going to be exposed. Their flaws will be exposed. Undefeated, don't care. Their flaws are going to be exposed on a neutral side against the best team that they've played since Oregon October 14th. And here's my thing with Washington. like They are still a good team. I'm not saying they're not a good team, but their strength is their offense. right? I think we can both agree the strength is the offense of this team. Yeah. The last three games, their offense hasn't been great. 35 against Utah was just good. 22 against Oregon State, 24 against Washington State. The offense wasn't even really good in either one of those games. The defense kind of led both those victories. I don't expect their defense to go in and shut down Oregon by any means. So if the Washington offense isn't going to be clicking, if they're, if Penix isn't right, if he's not slinging the ball around like he was the first six games of the season when he's averaging 380 yards a game, 
how are they going to stay in this game? It's not by the defense. And so I really think unless Penix somehow taps into when he was playing against Oregon or when he was playing at Michigan State, when he was playing against Boise State, and he taps into those first couple games and he's 100%, that's the only chance Washington has. They're going to have to outscore the Ducks. That defense isn't going to stop him. And I don't think Dylan Johnson, who had a nice game against Oregon and has been good the last couple games, I think Oregon's ready for him now. You look in that game, and they played Oregon second half. Oregon really shut him down, really hurt Washington. I just I don't think the Washington offense is that great right now, and yeah. that's definitely the strength of the team. I just think nine and a half is a lot. It's a lot for a team that still has everything to play for, and yeah, Penix is banged up, and he's not been his whole self, but I mean... We're just going to go in and assume that they're going to lose by double digits. I mean, doesn't this team have more fight than that? And Oregon's definitely allowed the back door. Like, I can I can totally understand picking Oregon to win the game. I think Oregon's going to win the game. And I think I'm going to take them to cover as well. I just don't think it's as obvious and as immediate a play as as just about everyone is saying right now. Like, that does scare Washington's me. offense is still the best offense that Oregon's faced, I guess. I mean, USC, you could put in there um, technically, but USC is so stop-start, herky-jerky. Like, I, I don't really know that I'd put them in the in the same space. You're playing USC 730 at home in Autzen Stadium compared to a UW offense playing at a neutral site where the crowd's going to be a little bit more bipartisan and, and they're undefeated still with everything to play for, whereas USC's season was already coming unraveled. And uh, I, I don't know. I still think it's going to be a tough test. I, I like Oregon to win, but the secondary is still going to be tested. Like the back shoulder stuff has been darn near impossible for people to stop. And you're talking about a first-round pick in Roma Dunze. You're talking about possible first-round pick in Jalen Polk. Jalen McMillan is back and healthy in Penix. Yeah, he's he's not the Penix that he was the first six weeks, but he's not bad either. He's still really good. And UW has still got everything to play for. Like, I think Oregon wins, but... I'm not quite yet to saying it's Oregon by a million like I was last week against the Beavers. Well, and the interesting part about this also, Washington is the first team uh, in the in the Pac-12 era to run the table, right? You go yeah. 9-0 in the conference, and now they're a 9.5 point. In the regular season. In the regular season. Now they're yeah. 9.5 point underdogs in the championship game. Like, they are getting no respect, and they're the only team to ever do this. Kalen DeBoer at his college head coaching career all the way back to Sioux Falls, 102-11, and and he's a 9.5 point dog. In a game where his team is undefeated, like college I, football is so wacky that way, isn't it? I mean, all the tra- we talked about yesterday, like the Washington Huskies are going to have a 19-game win streak and have zero Pac-12 titles to show for it. Maybe I think so. It, it's, it's, it's hard to do. It's hard to do. It, it, but do you think the spread is wrong by any means right now? Like you look at, at it, nine and a half points. I mean, if it was wrong, then I'd I'd be playing it. But, you're, but, but you're, I don't. You're, I don't know that it's totally wrong. But I also am not totally convicted to play it one way or the other quite yet. I just. I think everybody is like, yeah, it's Oregon by two touchdowns, seventeen, you know, twenty-one point. They're going to control this game from start to finish. And I'm just looking at the talent on Washington's side of the ball. And I'm like, really, that team's going to get blown out? I was like, I haven't seen them get blown out yet. What's more likely? Uh, but okay. What's more likely, an Oregon win by seventeen or a Washington straight up win? An Oregon 17-point win. I, everything that I look at, everything I, I, I'm i researching this game, it leans Oregon. Yeah. Everything. And, and it's not that Washington had a bad season. It's just what, what about it in-game, in-game coaching? That's the one thing. <laughs> I mean, that's the one thing I will say. Kalen DeBoer, I would give him the advantage over Dan Lang. And Oregon's kicking game is uh, not great, Bob. 
the fourth down thing. So they're going to be going for it on fourth down again. Look, I, like, I, you can bet, best believe they'll be going for fourth down at least twice in this game Friday. When the game, when they played in Washington, Seattle, I liked every fourth down game they went for. I, I understood all of it. I didn't like the play calls. I like the. I wanted. I would have gone field goal at the end of the half. I liked all of them. I, I thought they were the right call in the situation. I like the end of the game one. The final one, I the, think, was yeah. undoubtedly the right call. I now, thought that was the right call. The play call was weird. Bad play call on third down. Bad play call on fourth down. You look at what Michael Penix and Washington did in Corvallis when they had the third down, or was it the fourth down? At the end of the game, they threw the back shoulder to Rome, whatever it was. It was fourth down. It was fourth down, yeah, that's right. Unbelievable. And they cleared, no, it was third down. They I cleared out right. the one side to Roma yeah. Dunze, and they just said, hey, our best player versus your best player, let's go one-on-one, ours is going to win. And then what they do on the fourth and one against Wazoo? Like, pulled something out of the backside. And gave it to their best player, Roma Dunze. Like, sweet stuff. And that's You the, don't think they got a couple more gadget plays like that? And that's the thing that, if you're a Duck fan, you got to be a little worried about, is Roma Dunze is going to be the best player on the field. When he's out there, he there's it's undoubtedly. Dan Patrick thinks so. Have you heard Dan Patrick this week? He thinks that Roma Dunze is one of the best players in the country, and he's not wrong. Because he is. The guy is a beast. The guy's faster than everybody. He's bigger than everybody. He's, he's great. Can the Ducks slow him down? And I, I think you're right with Grubb, the offensive coordinator at Washington. He's going to get guys. Uh, he's going to get Dunze the ball in certain situations. Plus, Jaleel Florence is hurt, like, and he's come on really nice for Oregon. Like, No way he plays in this game Friday. So it's going to be Dante Manning again in that spot. Like, you 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 would say that who's the worst team you want to play when you're you, you've got depleted depth at corner and they still have got good guys at corner like Bridges has played some decent ball he had some decent moments in the Washington game uh, in October like it's Huskies you you don't want to face the Huskies when you're less than full strength on the outside and that's what you're gonna be and Kyrie Jackson's been great even though he's been banged up at spot like Evan Williams like. I don't know, he does some things well, and he does some things that I just do not understand in coverage. Who's a quarterback that you don't want to face when you've got safeties that are inconsistent in coverage? Go back to that Michael game. Michael Penix Jr. Go back to that game in Seattle. There was a couple plays, and you showed them to me. The Evan deep Williams. ball to Odunze. Yeah. I was like, Bennett is or Evan is right there to make a play, and he somehow doesn't. Yeah, he was right there. All he had to do was turn around, and he did, he didn't do it. He, you know, He's just not the greatest in coverage. I do think that this Washington team is going to have some plays down the field. Like... The fact that, you know, I'm saying that their offense has not been as good lately because it hasn't been. I do think that they're going to score some points. I do think they're going to make some plays on this Oregon defense because they are too good. Michael Penix is too good. Robin Dunze is too good. But I just don't think overall they're going to be able to continue to do this, you know, play after play. And they'll be able to stop Oregon on the offensive side. Oregon, that offense, I think, is just clicking so well right now. And Bo Nix is just the maestro of that team. I mean, he is just getting it to the right spot every single play. He is a coach on the field. Now he's trying to prove he can throw down the field, and wow, he is. Look, he's got Troy Franklin down the field scoring another touchdown, who's the best duck receiver in wide receiver, or duck wide receiver history. Yeah. Troy Franklin is. like He is so good. And Tez Johnson, the speedster man, his brother, he's stepping up. He's been really good. I just The Oregon offense, I think, is not going to be able to be stopped by this Washington defense. And I do think the Washington offense scores, just not enough to keep them within this game. We'll take some calls here on this game. You want to talk about it? 503-417-7575. Go out to line one. And Don in West Lynn. Don, what's going on, man? Hey, buddy. How are you guys doing? Hey. You know, I got some things to say. You know, that Oregon State game with Oregon, you know, we were stopping Martinez. Our uh, rush defense was doing pretty good, but that that pass defense was struggling. I mean, they were moving the ball, throwing it, and they were off five, ten yards off the, the ball. I'm thinking maybe 
Washington's going to do that because some of our pass defense is not very good. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about was if you actually knew how many times Bo Nix took the second half off or a third quarter off or a fourth quarter off because his team was up so much, and I was wondering if, in your opinion, do you think that they would take that in considering consideration when it comes to a Heisman because there's teams, there's players that pad the stats, and I don't think Bo Nix did that ever when he took himself out. Yeah, thanks for the call, Don. Um, I, I I agree with you. I don't think Bo Nix has been really a stat compiler. Uh, for the most part, he's done it within within the game when the game is still you know, not under question, but you know he's doing it within the office. He's not going out of his way, kind of like Jaden Daniels. I feel like has done a little bit. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but uh, I I think this Pac-12 title game. I think Bo Nix is playing the entire game. I like I, I don't I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't I, I so. like even if it is somewhat of a blowout I don't think Dan Lanning is taking Bonex out of this game so he's going to have ample opportunities to pad those stats a little bit if he wants to going for that Heisman I, I think tell you what if you've got the option of taking Bonex out of the game things are going very well yes yes for you I agree. but you still leave him in you still leave him in in this situation I do think we talked about this yesterday I think it's more of a beauty pageant for the Ducks like. Do you get style points to make the cultural playoff? I don't think they need it. I think they need style points for Bo Nix Heisman. And if Bo Nix has an average to blow average game and the Ducks win, I still think the Ducks get in the playoff. But I think Jaden Daniels then wins the Heisman trophy. If Bo Nix has a great game and Oregon wins, I think Bo Nix wins the Heisman and the Ducks make the cultural playoff. If Washington were to win, Jaden Daniels would win the Heisman trophy, I think, 100% of the time. You don't think style points matters for Oregon? I don't think so. Not to make the cultural playoff. I think they have... They what if they win by a last-second field goal? I think they have enough equity in the bank right now with the, with the committee. As a nine-and-a-half-point favorite, they barely skate by. I think the committee, has he, they've proven that they love him a lot. And um, What if Georgia loses and Oregon doesn't look good but wins? I don't I don't think it matters. All right. I think, I'm glad that you're confident in this because I'm think a little or, nervous. I think if Oregon wins, they're in. I, I, I think even a if— A two-time Georgia, reigning national champion would, be, would out be out with one loss— in yep. the final game of their season. I agree. I think so. I think Oregon has gotten the benefit of the doubt. I would love to see that. All season long. I'd love to hear Dan Lanning call Kirby and be like, uh, sorry. Sorry, it'd, boss. It'd be great. It would be great. I, I think that's what it is. I, I don't. I mean, I would love for the style points to happen, right? I would love for Oregon to be like, hey, you know what? We're going to put it on Washington and win by 35. But I don't think they have to do it. I, I yeah. think I think it speaks for enough. Washington, we've talked about it. They're 12-0. Like, it's not as if they're a bad team, even if they're not playing great. They're 12-0. They've won 18, 19 straight games in a row. This is going to be a lot of credit no matter how much you get the win by. I don't think that the committee is going to be looking at the 9.5-point spread and be like, oh, no, we can't put them in because they only won by three. Like, we all know this is going to be a tough game. It's not going to be just a cakewalk. But at the same what? time. What? That's not what I'm gathering from you. I mean, I think Oregon. Hey, what do you Halo. mean it's going to be a tough game? It's not going to be a cakewalk. You, you literally said minds. the whole show that you think Oregon's going to c- crush these guys. I'm putting my mind as a committee member. Yeah. They're not going to just look at it and be like, oh, because they win by three, we're not putting them in. If you're comparing a one-loss Duckies and a one-loss Georgia, yeah. like that gives that gets me nervy. I don't think if so. you don't look good. I mean, it's, in the game. it's fair to be nervous. I don't think that I I, I think that they're we're in. talking about Georgia. I think they're in. I think they're in. I think it's when close. In. I think it's close. The committee's shown too much love to Oregon this season when they haven't deserved. Can it. Louisville just beat Florida State? That's the thing. Just have Louisville beat Florida State. 
not just for the Ducks, but just for college football fans in general. Because you know what? If Florida State makes the college football playoff with a backup quarterback, you know what they're doing? They're losing by 25 in the first round. They're not competing. I want to see Oregon. I want to see Texas. I want to see Georgia. I want to see Michigan. That's my dream. Did you see, by the Final way, four. who got Big 12 Coach of the Year today? No. Okay. So the, the Big 12 coaches vote on Coach of the Year. Yeah. And uh, you, you talk about how much you like Texas. Yeah. So it's going to be Sark, right? Well, no. It was Mike Gundy. Well, that makes sense. And they got smacked by UCF. Like forty-one to three. They also lost to South Alabama and lost to South Alabama. The year, got smacked at home. Big Twelve Coach of the Year, the Mullet Man. But they're in the they're in the title game. They're not going to give it to Texas <laughs> because exactly. yeah, because they're going to the SEC. <laughs> That's just it's like Sark no. sour grapes. But no, no I. <laughs> What are the top four teams? What were the four teams you would want to see in the college football playoff? Because for me, it's it's so easy. I, I and Texas is up there, man, it's for Texas. sure. I mean, but if, Al- if Alabama wins, I think they should be in. Is that crazy? What about Georgia, then? You think Georgia's in, too? There's too many good teams. If you win the national title two years in a row and then you just lose one game after being ranked number one, it's hard for me to take you out. But I think Oregon should be in. So if it's if it's comparing a one loss Georgia and one loss Oregon, I'm putting Oregon in. I also am seeing a lot of stuff. But it would be very helpful for Oregon if you cover the number and don't make this a close game. It'd be I'm very helpful. I'm, I'm very helpful. I also have seen a lot of stuff, Jude, about the twelve team playoff and how we need it and we've always needed it. You know what? This year, yeah, we need it. There's more than four teams that can compete for a national title. Every other year in the college football playoff, we could have had two teams and it still wouldn't have mattered. Like I I'm look. I'm not a huge fan of the 12 team playoff. It's gonna be fun to bet on. It's gonna be fun to watch, but like the number 12 team, they're not winning the national title. The number eight team is probably not gonna win the national title. It's gonna be one of the top four teams. So like I just I'm tired of hearing about yeah. oh this 12 team playoff is so needed. It's not. It's not really needed this year. Yeah, maybe it would be more fun and the matches would be great. But you know what? Missouri's number eight, number nine. Are they really winning the national championship? Uh, no, that's a no. They're going to be crushed by Alabama in round one or Georgia, whoever they play. So I'm just, I don't know. I'm just tired of hearing about, oh, the 12 team playoff. It's going to be a lot of games to play. It's going to be fun. Like, I'm going to have a fun time betting on it. I'm going to have a fun time that's watching true. it. But, like, there's still going to be a bunch of blowouts, and it's still going to be Georgia and Alabama and Michigan and Ohio State in the national championship game. And there's really nothing we're going to do about that. All right, we'll take another call here. Bruce out in Portland. Bruce, what's on your mind? Hey, guys, just a couple things I want to touch on the Johnson Smith thing. Being a Duck fan, it was tough to celebrate much past Friday night finding out that news on Saturday. You know, you don't want to kick somebody when they're down. Um, you can't blame Smith for leaving. The guy came to coach in the Pac-12, and when it fell apart, you know, it's just like, I'm out of here. You know, there is never a good way for a coach to leave and have the fans be happy. I mean, it just is what it is. You know, look at what happened to Oregon a couple times already. Um, and when your team gets good, this is what happens, man. Other teams come calling. It's I'm more concerned about losing coordinators, you know. Your head coach gets in position, and he's constant. It's a rotating door of coordinators, you know. It's hard to keep any kind of consistency. You know, kudos to the Bees for making a good hire, I think, and making a timely hire. Um, it'll help with the portal. It'll help with the future of the program. We'll see what happens. Um, and then in regard to uh, the Pac-12 championship, you guys, I think Oregon is going to roll this game. Um, I, I watched, obviously, the game in Seattle. They they figured things out in the second half. They held Washington, like I think, 150 total yards in that second half. 
They outscored them. They pushed them around. The key, obviously, to any any game with a passer like Penix is going to be to put pressure on that guy. Um, Rome is going to get his his. You know, those two that combination is deadly. I mean, those are those, they're NFL caliber. They're going to be hard to cover regardless. But the key is to is to be putting pressure on Penix. Look what happened. You know, in the first half against USC, when Oregon was able to pressure Caleb Williams, I mean, the guy was completely out of sync. And like Don said, our game against uh, Oregon State last week. You know, we didn't get a lot of pressure on DJU in the second half, and he kind of picked us apart. So hopefully that changes a little bit. Now, I think Oregon is just too too healthy right now, too dialed in. They've got too much talent, you know, and they're focused. It's just it's got a different feel this year for the Ducks. Um, Landing's got these guys just on a different path, you know, I think, compared to years past. And and Husky fans, the last thing those guys wanted to do after beating us in Seattle was to have to face us again in Vegas. And guess what, Husky fan? That day is coming up in two or three nights. So, you know, I'm loving it to be an Oregon fan and ruin the Huskies' perfect season. There's going to be nothing sweeter, you know, than than to have to – have to go through the off season knowing that we are, we're the ones that ruined Washington's perfect season. Go Ducks! Uh, I think Oregon's winning by twenty-one. Awesome, man! Thanks, Bruce, <laughs> for the call. That was great. Uh, you tell he's getting hyped. Yeah, love it. Two or three more sleeps. Oh, it's gonna be. It's two, gonna be two fun. more sleeps till it's Friday. Be fun. I'm not even a Duck fan. It's gonna be fun. I just yeah. man, this this game just is. It, it's so big. It's so big, and it's sold out. By the way, I don't sold, know if you hurled. I have you heard. I have hurled. Um, <laughs> too, especially in Vegas. Yeah, oh wait, that's the perfect <laughs> hey, place to do it. Uh, I would love hey. to be there. That's come on, come yeah, on, fly on, me out there. there. What are we doing? Let's get there. Um, but no, that's it's going to be a great game, man. And for the Pac-12 to go out this way, it's it would be fitting for like a Washington upset. Just the Pac-12 ends with a Washington nine and a half point dog upset, ruining Oregon's chances. But at the same time, would it also would it be what's more Pac-12? Tell me this, Judah. A Washington upset win or an Oregon win, but then Georgia loses to Bama and Oregon misses the playoff. No Pac-12 teams. Yeah, that would probably be the most Pac-12 thing going on (laughs) right there. The only thing, and I don't even want to say this out loud, but say it. If Bonix gets hurt. No, 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 don't say that. You know, Caleb got hurt in the game last year, just totally took USC fully out of the game, and they were winning by two scores. I can't have a Bo Nix injury. You can't have a Bo Nix injury in this game. And the the only thing reason I say that is just because I'm trying to, like, get my mind ready for any and every possibility. Because when guys get hurt, sometimes it just hits you like a bag of bricks that you didn't expect. And it's like, man, I wish I was emotionally prepared for that. But there's no reason to think that he would. But, you know, freaky things sometimes happen. And if that happens, then, you know. Everything hits the fan. You throw everything out the window. But can, can they go out and buy Cam Ward? If Bo so, Nix, so he's ready yeah, for the buy, game. Buy Cam Ward, get him ready, eligibility right now. <laughs> but if Bo Nix plays the entire game, Oregon's winning this game. There's no, there's no question. And then he wins the Heisman, right? And then he wins the Heisman, unless Bucky goes for three tutties. And uh, do you think? That, do you think there's a world where Oregon wins and Bo Nix doesn't win the Heisman? Yeah. If he doesn't have any touchdown passes for whatever reason, if it's like a if it's a Bucky Irving, you know, if four touchdown game and they win twenty eight thirteen, and Bo doesn't have any touchdowns on the ground or through the air, then I think there's definitely room to give it to Jaden Daniels because as much as we don't want to believe it out here on the West Coast, like Jaden Daniels' numbers are pretty sick, and a lot of it's because the LSU defense, Omar Spates and everybody out there, by the way, uh, isn't so good. So he's in shootouts 
all the time. And the game script favors a quarterback that has all the leeway to make any kinds of plays that he wants. So he's going to rack up some stats, and there's some of them are hollow stats. But over 90 explosive plays, mm. like way more than Joe Burrow had in a 15-game season, and Daniels has played 12, it's hard to ignore like how much he's done. He just hasn't really had any big moments in primetime games, and that might be his undoing. Otherwise, statistically, he's got the best stats in college football. You lose three games. I've seen him play at Arizona State. That Ole Miss game was like, well, yeah, but he's a lot better quarterback I know, now but than Arizona State. A, and by the way, he beat, he ripped the Ducks' heart out at Arizona I State tell you what, I've on a November a, Saturday I night. I have been a huge Jaden Daniels fan since his freshman year. I thought he was going to be awesome, so I yeah. finally feel vindicated a little bit. Like, oh, he's finally living up to expectations He's going to be bit. a first-round pick in all likelihood yeah. and maybe a top one. Seahawks? Mm, well, actually, sure. Seahawks <laughs> may need a quarterback. Uh, yeah, no, Ducks, man. Ducks, Huskies. Great game on Friday night. I can't wait to uh, be watching that one. I'm still, I mean, I feel really good about the Ducks laying the points in that one. But let us know what you think, 503-417-7575. We'll take a break. When we come back, we will play a little bit of Punch It Audio later on. We'll talk about the Seahawks and maybe uh, maybe Jaden Daniels to the Seahawks. Let's talk about that, Judah. Let's get uh, NBA in-season tournament. Blazers, we got a lot more to talk about. Stephen Von Judah Newby in for John Canzano, Bald Face Truth, Radio Network. Welcome back to Bald Face Truth. Stephen Vaughn, Judah Newby, Phil, Judah, Judah Newby. What's your name again? What's the show? Judah Newby filling back in for the bald face truth for John. Um, we always do this every day. Judah and myself and all the other interns running around here at this station. We run around. We search high and low for all the best audio, whether it's on the news, on the Internet, on the TV, wherever it is. We find it all and we bring it to you right here in something that John calls Punch It Audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, we've been talking about college football a lot today, and... Uh, I made a little joke there the last thing about Cam Ward. Maybe the Ducks should just go by Cam Ward, have him be the backup quarterback just in case something happened to Bo Nix. But Matt Rule, head coach of Nebraska, he was talking today. He was talking about the price of players and how much they cost in college football. His answer doesn't surprise me, but it's just a little shocking to hear sometimes. Here's Matt Rule talking about the price of good players in the college football world. Punch it. Make no mistake that a, a good quarterback in the portal costs you know a million to a million five to two million dollars right now. So just 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 on the same page, right? So um, let's, let's make sure we all understand what's happening. So um, um, you know, there's some teams that have six six or seven million dollar players playing for them. And that goes to what we heard yesterday from Brock Heward when he said Cam Ward has ten seven figure deals out there already. The next six seven days. <laughs> And the amount of free agent dollars thrown around right now in college football with the portal opening next Monday. Yeah. Like, you think the coaching changes and all this stuff's interesting? Uh-uh. Mm. Wait till you see where, in, you know. <laughs> Everybody I heard, ends up going. Let's just say I heard from one source and a pretty dialed-in one that Cam Ward, right? And this is what just drives these guys crazy. Okay, have the portal open on Monday. Let's make this all a fair game. Oh, no, no. All the agents and the runners and the money guys are already out there. Cam Ward has 10 seven-figure deals waiting for him. He has 10 different deals from around the country that will pay him seven figures to come be their quarterback. That is... How ludicrous is college football right now? 
It is ludicrous, but I will say this, Judah. When you look at the coaches' salaries, I mean, Jonathan Smith, what's he making? Seven Over $7 million. You can get Cam Ward for a million bucks. That's kind of a good deal, right? Like, Cam Ward, really good quarterback. I mean, you're invested in that in the, in the coach. Eh, what's another mill just to throw at a good quarterback? But, man, it's just it's a different game right now. And, and it's it goes to show how good of a decision it was for Oregon State to get the coaching higher right now. Whether it's the right choice or not, whether it's Trent Bray, whether he's the guy long-term or he's not, get a coach in here because the transfer portal opens up on Monday. There's already a ton of guys in the portal. Uh, Duke quarterback Riley Leonard, he's probably going to Notre Dame. Uh, Will Howard, I believe, from uh, Kansas State, quarterback, really good quarterback. He's already in the portal. Like, There's going to be good players. You don't want to lose your guys at Oregon State to whether it's to Michigan State, whether it's to other schools. Get your coach in line, get your NIL in line, and hopefully keep the cohesiveness that you have in their program. Well, especially at the quarterback position. And if you're Oregon State, you got to get that offensive staff in place ASAP as well. Like, if you want to be somebody that matters to get a, a QB that matters, like you got DJ last year, uh, you got to get your office coordinator and play caller and all that set up too. So the work is not done. It is just beginning for Trent Bray and company. But it only separates even further the haves and the have-nots. If you're a program like Oregon, you've got money to shell out for a Cam Ward or quarterback X to come in and compete in the transfer portal. And if you're a program like Oregon State, it still means you got to go find the Eden Childs of the Worlds. The guys that were under-recruited, but they Damian have Martinez. outsized talent relative to their recruitment. Damian Martinez the same way. And develop those guys and hope that you hit on a few diamonds in the rough, which is really what Oregon State's been doing for 20 years, right? Like the Rogers brothers and everything. So uh, that's what you got to do, even on the offensive side of the ball, if you're Oregon State moving forward. Um, but the NIL, it's it's refreshing to hear Matt Rule be that open about it. He's like, just so we're on the same page, this is what it costs for these guys to get A-listers in here, uh, just so you, you know uh, what we're up against. Now, it does make the game better, though, right? Like, Jaden Daniels probably would have been in the NFL. Bo Nix probably would have left last season, but you get the NIL money. I don't know how much Bo Nix is getting, but, you know, it had to have been a decent amount to say, hey, I'm going to return for another season. Now, he also improved his draft stock this season and may win a Heisman Trophy, but at the same time, if there's no NIL money, is he gone trying to be a second, third round pick and make that guaranteed money in the NFL? I, I think, you know, Caleb Williams has talked about that. Maybe I stay. Now, I don't think he's going to, but I, I think there's always that threat now and it's going to make it where college football and college basketball, even to a lesser extent, but I think college football more, there's going to be guys, especially the quarterback position, that may stay. Quinn Ewers at Texas, he's a guy that has been rumored that he may stay for wow. another season at NIL. What does that do with the Arch Manning situation? So, I, I think Oregon State for Arch Manning. So Come I, th- on. I did hear this. Arch Manning, his NIL deal is too good that he may not leave, even though he won't be the starting quarterback if Quinn Ewers stays. Because his NIL deal is just way too good. But I, I, I think I think ultimately it You're is good saying for the game. Oregon State couldn't come up with a comparable NIL deal for Arch Manning. I think they should. Just give just give him like stake. <laughs> Make him owner of the yeah. collective. Make him minority stake owner in the university. Put Reezer in his middle name. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Uh, Kirk Herbstreit, he was on Pardon My Take and uh, used some colorful language. So I thought this was kind of fun of Kirk, of old Kirkers here. But he's talking about put the best teams in the college football playoff. Don't worry about who's who's worthy. Put the best, put best dang teams in. Kirk, punch it. So as a guy who calls these games, I don't want to do the right thing. If you talk to Bill Hancock, and we had lots of meetings about this, they're not supposed to do the right thing. They're supposed to, their job is to put the best four teams in the playoff. Now, again, it's subjective. 
who you think and I think are the best four are different. And that's fine. But that's what that group is supposed to do. Not what do we think about ratings. It's, that's bull****. Put the f***ing best four teams in the game. Translation, don't put Florida State in. Put Texas in. That's what I heard. What show was that on? That was part of my take. <laughs> oh, okay. Barstool. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. That's why I was like, cursing. was that during the college football playoff show? <laughs> that would have been sweet. Kirk just goes off on ESPN. Kirkers, man, he's a right liver. He's a narrow pather. He's dropping these BS and F bombs. I love it. That was good. Sounds like me. It was good stuff, yeah. No, Kirkers. Ah. But what do you think? I don't. Is it the committee's job to put the top? Great. Is it the committee's job to put the top four in the four most deserving? Because Florida State is definitely not a top four team with Jordan Travis out. I don't think there's any arguing that. But at thirteen and zero, they probably deserve to be in. Beating an LSU team that we talked about, you know, beating uh, Clemson, going to beat Louisville, who you know would be a top fifteen team at that moment. Like, is it most deserving or is it the best team? Like, what what's the proper way to go about? Well, this? if you really want to be cynical, he's not talking about Texas jumping Florida State, Bama. His alma mater, that too. Ohio State. That's who he wants to see back in. The, if you really want to be, I don't think that's what he's saying. But I think he would be well. Not if Bama loses, but if Bama wins, then he's saying Georgia should begin well, as well. The thing as is, well is, as Oregon. Vegas would have State Bama favored over Oregon. Do you know what those lines are? I really actually wanted to talk about this with you. We'll talk about it. Have you seen some of these look-ahead lines for I, possible college football playoff matchups? I have seen some of those, yes. Wow. I mean, wow. <laughs> like, they think really highly of the Duckies. I I listened to a couple different uh, gambling podcasts and stuff. Only and a couple? Only a couple. They And they power rate their teams. A lot of them have Oregon second in the nation. Right behind Michigan. Better than Georgia. That's that's insane. That's what we're talking about right now. That's great. I they better I, they better cover Friday. That's why. That's why I, I just you're I, not favored over Georgia if you're hanging around with this hapless twelve and zero Washington team. I just think this crippled Washington team. Yeah, we'll talk about this It'll a little be bit. An embarrassment. We'll talk about the lines, but Chris Felica did put out some lines. Um, he was reporting it from Chris Andrews, who's a you know a bookmaker of yeah. long time. We'll talk about that. I'll give the hint of the Georgia Oregon line. Look ahead, Georgia minus one in the Sugar Bowl potentially in the national title game. Georgia Oregon. Georgia minus one. Minus one. If you set the, the line today. Yep, that's how good the Ducks are. That's all I'm saying. That's they played the game what <laughs> a year ago and it was a sixteen months ago stomping forty nine to three. Sixteen months later, like that. If you want to know. How far Oregon has come in 16 months under Dean Lanning? Look no further than that. But that's from Judah, losing 49 to three to being a one-point underdog. It's wild, Judah. That's why I think no matter what happens, if Oregon wins, they're in the college football playoff. They're in, man. I, I can't. I can't see even if it's even if Georgia were to lose. They, I, they edge Georgia for the playoff if Georgia ooh, loses. I think so. I mean, again, Louisville can do us all a favor. Yeah, just come on, Louisville. Make it easy. Get your Louisville hats on. Papa John's Let's out go there. Go cards. Papa John's. I'm getting Papa John out there, man. Will Stein, Louisville alum. He's his, his family bakes cookies out there, right? Is he going to be giving out signs? He should be handing out, yeah. Florida State signs. He's, he's talking to they Dylan Hamm. game Friday, and then he paints his chest with a big L on Saturday. <laughs> he's what? talking to Dylan Hamm, who's talking to Florida State, who's... Yeah. Now translating signs over to Louisville. Is that a 9 a.m. game? No, that's a late game. 
5, 5 p.m. Yeah, game. They're going to have to wait all day for it's that It's the one. ACC and the Big Ten game at the same time. You're right. Michigan. Have you seen that Michigan-Iowa line? <laughs> they could not make that thing high enough. Did you see Iowa first half team total? A half a point? <laughs> and the over, the over was plus money. The over was plus 100. To score a point? To score a point in the first half. <laughs> that game, that's so pathetic. Guess what? Oregon's going to the Big Ten to face teams like Iowa. That's going to be fun. All right, uh, one more thing here. One more, one more punch of audio. Jason Kidd, Mavericks actually been pretty good this year, Judah. You know, Kyrie Irving got traded to him last season. They struggled, didn't make the playoffs, didn't even make the play in, but they've been pretty good. Jason Kidd, though, after a game, he got real feisty with the media. I want you to hear this. Punch it. I think maybe, Tim, maybe it's the things that you guys thought should have happened day one is that they should be successful right off the bat. Um, and it takes time. Failing is all right. It's not a bad thing to fail um, for a pro athlete because you can get better and learn from it. And those two are the best in the world, and we feel very comfortable with those two having the ball. Sometimes it goes in, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but we learn from it, and I think they've answered that question um, from day one. Um, as you just mentioned, they're one of the best, if not the best, in clutch time. But that was a big big thing you guys wanted to make a big deal about last year but you're not making a big deal about it this year because it's going good right so write some positive i just asked you a question and i'm giving you a answer <laughs> like i'm you guys you know there's all right to write positive stuff people will read your positive <laughs> you don't always have to be negative Right, like it's it's just the world's already negative enough, right? So let's see some positive stuff on some positive people that are playing, doing their job on a nightly basis. Making it a lot easier to do that this year. Well, we're only into this year. We can't go back to last year, right? Like that's the problem. Have a good night. Jason Kidd wants some positivity out of our media members, and I don't blame him, and I, I fall victim to this as well. You know, me covering the Blazers, I, I do a Blazer podcast, I, I talk about the Blazers a lot. I always seem to try to find out the negative parts of what they can improve, rather than be like, oh, this is a positive for the Trailblazers. I feel like I've done a lot better job this season of pointing out positives because the Blazers really suck this year. That's that's pretty positive. Isn't but that amazing how that works? Yeah. Team with no expectations and really no hope. It's easier to be positive about. But them. he's he, he's not wrong that we always look to what's the negative and we go with that. But at the same time, we have to be critical. That's kind of our jobs, right? Like our, our jobs is to be critical of these people, these people, these these athletes, these coaches, on what they're doing. We have to hold them accountable. So on one hand, I think Jason Kidd's right, but on the other hand, like I do feel like it's my job to be truthful. And if I don't think somebody's doing a good job, I'm gonna say it. Now, if they do a good job, I try to give them credit as well, but. You know, maybe I need to do a little bit better. Maybe we all need to be a little bit better and nicer. Do you think the media needs to be more intentional about being positive when things aren't going well? I think with so. The team? I think a little bit, yes. Because like I said, I, and I fall victim to this all the time. I'm always looking at the negatives and I'm thinking, how can they improve when there are some positives even in losses? Like the Blazers will lose games and I'm like, that was that was a good loss. But like Obviously, it's no moral victories, but like there's good things you can take away from it. I think I think we do need to do better as a society of just finding positives and things. What do you think? Yeah, probably. But Jason Kidd to me is not really one that I'll go out of my way to yeah. praise.
But whatever. Hell of a player. Blazers suck. Everyone's everyone sucks. Everybody's I don't, don't know. steal my Seahawks thunder. No, and that's where we're gonna go off. Judah's gonna tell you how bad the Seahawks are coming up next. Uh, right here. Find some positivity. Uh we got uh we'll come back here. Stephen Von Judah Newbie, Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Bald Face Truth, Stephen Von Judah Newbie. Filling in for John Canzano. John's getting ready for the Pac-12 title game. What a game that is going to be. But uh, we're going to talk about the NFL a little bit in this segment. And the Seattle Seahawks in general. Because Judah Newby, as we know, diehard Seahawks fan. I always am tempted to text you during the games. But I always I always go against it. Because I, I don't like texting like fans during the games because how mad they can be. I appreciate that. But uh, I always debate it sometimes. And, and I, I pro- so I'll probably say not. But... Uh, Seahawks have been struggling as of late. They have a big one against the Cowboys tomorrow. Kenneth Walker, listed as doubtful now. Things are looking a little bleak for Seattle to make the playoffs. Um, full disclosure, you talked me into a Seahawks bet to win the division maybe two weeks ago. Since that moment, they've been terrible. You're welcome. Um, go off, King. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's borderline getting depressing. You know, the, the thing about rooting for a team with Geno Smith was that it was fun. And it is no longer fun. The fun has worn off. The shine has worn off. And it's not that Geno's bad. And it's not that Geno is the quarterback we all thought he was with the New York Jets and the New York Giants and someone break his jaw again and all that. Like, no. Like, he's still a decent quarterback. What I love about Geno is that he's still willing to rip the football. He's still willing to sit in there and rip it down the field. Like, he showed so much toughness in the Rams game with two throws in a row to DK Metcalf, right up the seam, taking pressure in a game that Aaron Donald already took off his bicep and just ripping some clutch throws to set up a game-winning field goal that was missed. And then you get the 49ers on Thursday Night Football, and you get absolutely pantsed. When was the last time the Seahawks were seven-and-a-half-point underdogs in primetime at home? These are the games we absolutely dominate. These are the games we live for. We eat turkey legs on Thanksgiving when we kick the Niners' ass. Now we can't stay within an arm's length of them in the first freaking quarter? Are you kidding me? It extends a lot more than just the limitations at quarterback and the injuries at running back and the injuries at right tackle. Like, there's a cohesiveness and a continuity out of this team that showed up for about a five-week stretch in October that couldn't feel far enough away right now. And you better find it, and you better find it fast. Because now you got the Cowboys, then you got the Eagles, and you and the 49ers. You get Cowboys, Niners, Eagles three more weeks in a row. You could very well be looking at a 6-8 and eight record, Stephen Vaughn. 6-8 and eight record going into Christmas Eve. And have to beat the Titans, Steelers, and Cardinals just to get to nine wins. If you don't figure out figure it out right now and upset the Cowboys, Niners, you have to win one of those games in order to have a chance at ten wins. And even then, I'm not so sure the Seahawks can pull it off, but I hope they do. There's the positivity for you, Seattle Seahawks fans. <laughs> Five and five coming up next. Ball Face Truth Radio Network. The happy hour is here. Five o'clock hour. Stephen Vaughn, Judah Newby filling in for John Canzano. JC getting ready for the Pac-12 title game Friday down in Vegas, Allegiant Stadium. Judah just went off about the Seahawks, and I was loving every second of it. But Judah, I have a theory. Now, I full disclosure, I didn't come up with this theory. I was told this theory on Twitter. But the reason why you're so mad at Geno Smith is because Russell Wilson's good again. Is that true or false? 
I don't think Russell is that good. Oh, that's that's better Seahawks fan if I've ever heard. Russ is cooking this year. Cooking? It's not a meal I want. The Broncos are going to make the playoffs, bro. Sean Payton's doing what? Sean Payton's <laughs> a magic man. So you still think Russ is washed? He's playing better, but he still slow as molasses. Doesn't take a genius to figure that out. All I know is, you know, I was told this theory, and I thought, you know what? That's right on. Because yeah. last year you loved Geno because Russ was terrible, and you're like, oh, look at this. We got the better quarterback. Now that Russ is probably better again than Geno Smith, I mean, there's, like, a, eh. there's a stat called average depth of target, and it basically measures how far a quarterback is throwing the ball down the field generally. Yeah. Russell Wilson is not throwing it farther than seven yards down the field. You know, with regularity. Geno Smith at least is. Geno Smith will sit in there, take hits, and throw the deep ball. Russell, he's lost his deep ball magic. He lost it a while ago. Aesthetically, Geno is still a much easier quarterback to watch and root for than Russell Hustle Bustle, a man, Russell Wilson. Dangerous. It's, uh, 20 touchdowns, four picks. That's all I know. Uh, who would you take the rest of the season if you had to win Super Bowl? Russell Wilson or Geno Smith? Uh, not Russell. Russell's not winning nothing. Well, Gino's not winning anything either. He might. Oh, Seahawks fan right there. Look, the Seahawks aren't going anywhere. I know this. I know this. That's part of why I'm frustrated is because you go to the playoffs last year as a seven seed and play the Niners. Does anybody remember what the score at halftime was of that Niner game? Everybody thinks, oh, Niners kicked their ass. Oh, Niners did. Niners that. Seahawks were up. Seahawks were winning. 17-16. After one half of playoff football against the Niners. Now, I grant you, it all turned ugly when Nick Bosa, you know, bull rushed Abe Lucas and strip sacked Geno Smith in the red zone late in the third quarter. But it wasn't until that point that the 49ers really had the Seahawks by the throat. So I was hoping to build off that, maybe be a pesky wildcard team this year, maybe be a divisional round team this year. But the way that they're playing right now, and you know me, I don't think the NFL season starts till Thanksgiving. <laughs> well, it started. And somebody forgot to tell the Seahawks. You tell me this about college football. So you don't you don't take into consideration stats until about ten games into the season. Especially with college football. The hell are we doing? Oh, we're ranked first in passing. Because I was giving you oh, a, I was, we well, put up eighty one points on Portland State. I'm like, well, of course you're gonna be ranked first in a bunch of crappy categories. Like, what are we doing out I here? I was giving you a bunch of Oregon stats and you told me how wrong they were. Yeah. I think I was right. Going into one. the Washington game. Wait, what wasn't it going to the UW game? Probably, yeah. How, how wait was I wrong? I don't I don't think I was wrong. Well, maybe now they're both wrong. We were both right. <laughs> we're both right, like always. Uh, we were seeing the board. You were seeing the board so clearly last week. So clearly, and I said that. And John even laughed. I said, "Oh, I, I the board is screaming to me this you week." You just freaking nailed it. You said the Cougs were alive to win the game on the Huskies, and they damn near did. I had Cal a nine and a half point dog winning outright, and they stopped them. Win, yeah, and Duckies. Duckies you couldn't lay a number high enough with the Duckies on the Beavs last week. We both thought that, and we were both right. I don't see the board quite as well this week. Dang it. Although I do feel comfortable with Oregon. Well, we should go through all the games. Maybe we'll do yeah. that on Friday. We'll go through all, all the conference championship Kizano's games. Kizano's gone, gone through all the games five times by now at this point of the week. <laughs> if this was a normal week of shows, he's gone through all the games like five times. Well, the times problem is there's only Thursday. the one Pac-12 game. Give, give me your lean. Give me your early lean. Three or four times, and then give me your pick on Thursday. But there's only the one one Pac-12 game, so it's hard. It's hard to do that now. 
I mean, we could do all the games. Well, all the conference championship games. I'm down for that. You got a big Troy. I, I watch all the college football outside of the Pac-12. You got a big Troy, uh, maybe, Appalachian State. Maybe not that take. one. Although that is a Troy. good game. Troy easy. Isn't Toledo good this year? 11-1. and one. That's pretty good. Give me Miami of Ohio, though. Uh, that That's who they're playing. Okay. The Red Hawks. Miami big ben. of Ohio. I, I heard Big Ben is coming back. Who else went to Miami, Ohio? Was that Romo? No, Romo was Eastern Illinois, wasn't he? Yeah, he and Sean Payton were Eastern Illinois. I don't know who else went to Miami, Ohio besides mm-hmm. Big Ben. Red Hawks. Roethlisberger. Red Hawks. Get your Red Hawks here. Huh. Uh, we'll take a call before we do the 555-503-417-7575 if you want to chime in. We'll go out to Josh in Troutdale. Josh, what's going on, brother? Hey, guys. First time, long time. I really enjoy you guys listening to you. I'm a new father. I really like you guys. It is uh uh, talk about being a father, but the reason I called is I'm a Seahawks fan. I want to talk about Judah and uh, uh, Seahawks potentially getting uh, Michael Penix Jr. And you know, if Bo mm. Nix gets that Heisman, does that take the shine off of uh, Michael Penix and give us a better chance to potentially draft him as a Seahawks fan? That'd be really awesome. I'll uh, hang up and uh, thank you guys, and I'll listen to your uh, your opinion on that. Well, I kind of joked around earlier, Judah, and said Jane Daniels to the Seahawks, and you weren't against it, but I think. I think he's right. I think Josh is right. The Seahawks need to, at some point, look into getting a quarterback. I, I mean, Geno's fine, but I don't think he's the guy. Right. I, I totally am on board for looking into drafting a quarterback. I got no qualms with that whatsoever. Now, Geno's contract also, it was 105 mil over three years, but it gives you some natural off ramps, even as soon as this year, if you want. If you want to move on, you can. I, mean, I obviously will hurt a little bit more against the cap. Uh, this offseason than it would next offseason, but you can at, you still have the flexibility to draft a quarterback if uh, if it's in you know your desire to do so. Now I w- last year I was all about Anthony Richardson, like I was hoping and praying he would fall to five for the Seahawks, and when Indy took him at four, a little piece of me died. But Witherspoon obviously has been a really solid pick at five. You can have the debate about Jalen Carter, who slipped all the way to nine. I still, today, even though Jalen Carter's a great player, I don't think he would be maximized in Seattle the way he's being maximized in Philadelphia. I really like the Witherspoon pick uh, right now at number five. That's fine. But moving forward, yeah, I think a quarterback is to be is there for the taking. I'm not very high on Michael Penix Jr. as an NFL prospect. I've just got to be honest. I think he's a hell of a college quarterback. I don't see that much of an NFL future for him, uh, whether it's the injury history or the, uh, you know, he's not the most mobile guy in the world. And he's also not the most accurate, even though he's racking up a ton of stats. A lot of that is having talented guys in a great scheme, especially Roma Dunze and uh, McMillan and Polk and uh, even uh, Hendershot or whatever the hell 37's name is, the tight end that they throw to randomly and he makes big plays. Like the play he made in the Oregon game where I thought he was definitely is either incomplete or short of the first down on that fourth down in the first half, but he somehow made that play. Like that little 37 tight end, man, he's he makes random plays. He'll be some random plays on Friday as well. But I, I don't think Michael Penix is that high of an NFL ceiling. That's my just personal feeling on him. If there's anyone out there that I think would be a difference maker, though, at the NFL level, that could be it for the taking in the middle, late half. I mean, you know, Drake May would be sweet. You know, Jaden Daniels will go a little really, higher, really sweet, but they'll be gone by then. But by wherever the you think Seahawks Daniels pick. will be a top ten pick, then I think he could, and I think 
I think that's going to be, by draft time, I think we're talking about Jaden Daniels as top 10 pick and maybe higher. The draft is going to be fascinating because there's a lot of quarterbacks. You know, Caleb, obviously, the Drake May, but you talk about Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix, like where does he go? Hell, Bo Nix might be a more, if you're saying Bo Nix is a first-round pick, that might be a Seattle spot more than Penix. I think Nix is taken ahead of Penix in the draft. Like Michael Penix Jr., where's he go? Quinn Ewers, he's another quarterback. There's a lot of... You say Quinny's coming back? It hasn't been decided yet. There's rumors that he's going to come back. But, like, there's a mm-hmm. lot of guys that, you know, could be coming out. J.J. McCarthy, like, a lot of quarterbacks that could come out. And where do they land? Like, are they great? I don't know. But that's 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 something to be watching for uh, coming to the bowl season and the draft. You think Penix might be a good NFL QB? I think I would rather have Bo Nix over Penix. Me too. I think Nix's ability to move around in the pocket is great, and the fact that the injury history with Penix scares me a lot. The fact that I mean, he, can, Nick, he can't Nick's stay had healthy. a broken ankle right at Auburn once, but I think that's more fluky than than anything. Penix has been banged He's up, been legit banged up his entire career. I, I just it scares me a little bit when guys get banged up in college. When he's on, though, he's on. That is, I will sure. say that he's a little less accurate than everybody thinks he is. You told me that one time. Yeah, I, the Jane Daniels thing too. I think he's the highest ceiling out of those three. Yeah, people say like Lamar Jackson type comps for Jane Daniels running the ball. That seems a little high. It's a little much for me. A little rich for my blood. I mean, they also say Caleb Williams is Patrick Mahomes 2.0. So yeah, here with that. You see Patrick Mahomes the other day. He he painted his nails and said uh, "F the Eagles" on his fingernails. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I don't, t- I don't believe it's tongue you. in cheek. I don't believe you. You think Patrick Mahomes would be caught dead painting his fingernails? First of all, maybe Taylor painting Swift. his fingernails with "F whatever." Like Taylor Swift would paint her nails. Travis Kelsey might paint his nails. I love Taylor. Who the hell is painting their freaking fingernails F Utah? Jackson that is one Mahomes. of the most idiotic things I've ever heard in my life. But he did it all year, he supposedly said. This is not doesn't make it any better. <laughs> it makes it worse. All right. I agree. That is uh very it's, immature. It's just weird. It's weird, dude. It's the hell. It's weird energy. When you're that good and that talented. Go home, cuddle the dog, man. Just go cuddle the dog. You're Caleb Williams, man. You're the best quarterback in the nation. You're the highest winner. You don't gotta be saying that. It's odd to me. I got some questions about Caleb at the, I, I, next, I, at the next level. He's going to be great. He should he should be the first pick. Hell but, of a talent. But, yeah, there's there's some question marks behind Caleb Williams. Well, I can't wait for the draft. The draft is always a fun time. I love making bets on draft time. I mean, Jude to talk about it all the time. But <laughs> uh, it's not draft time yet, but it is the 5-5 five five time. Jude has got the five top stories of the day. Let's hit it. The 5 at 5. Number one. Oh, yeah, yeah, number one. Oregon, Washington, Friday night, and the Oregon Ducks have a uniform combination that they released on Mm. Tuesday. It looks pretty fresh. King of aesthetics over here, Stephen Vaughn. It's uh, an all-white look, white tops, white pants, the green wings on the shoulder pads, the green cleats, the green and yellow gloves as well. So it'll be a bit of a, a white out for the Ducks in Vegas against Washington as Oregon will be the uh, lower-seeded team, road team, if you will, Friday night at Allegiant Stadium. A, you a big uni watch guy? And B, uh, is it a look-good, play-good feel with uh, with the Ducks? Do you like this look for Oregon Friday night in the big lights? I am not a big uni watch guy. Um I'll I'll make a comment like oh that looks good or I don't like that but it's not, it's not something that you know floats floats my boat. Um, but I will say this: 
I thought they may have gone sneaky retro because Dan Lanning at his press conference wore like a retro looking hoodie, mm-hmm. which was sick looking. And I thought, oh, maybe they're going to go retro for this game. But they're not, obviously. And uh, I, I think it's one of those things where, you know, it is a look good, play good type of thing. And I think the Ducks know that. I think the Ducks know that they, if they do what they do and they play their game, they're going to win this game. And maybe not by margin, maybe not by nine and a half. But they're going to win this game. And, you, you know, Brandon Dorless kind of said that earlier this week. You know, it's going to be a show on Friday. Dan Lanning seemed really confident in his press conference. I think the Ducks know that they have the better team. They just got to take care of take care of what they have on the field and maybe convert a fourth down or two and not, you know, go 0 for 4. And I, I think they have this game easily. And they're in the college football playoff. Number two. Number two. Oh, there you go. Jonathan Smith needs a defensive coordinator at Michigan State since his old buddy Trent Bray. Decided to replace him at Oregon State. Congrats to Trent. Talked about that earlier in the show. Among the 10 candidates, uh, potential candidates, Jimmy Lake, a potential candidate to be Jonathan Smith's defensive coordinator. Also, Mike Tressel off the Tressel tree. He's the Wisconsin defensive coordinator. He used to be a coordinator at Michigan State. Is that like Jim's son? I think so. I don't think brother. Also not, and maybe nephew, but I think it's his son. Jim Leonard, remember mm. the former defense coordinator at Wisconsin? Everybody thought he'd be a head coach somewhere. He is a senior analyst at Illinois. That would be a good pickup. So Jonathan Smith could go after uh, Jim Leonard. And uh, one coach at Oregon, Demetrius Martin. Ducks, defensive backs coach. He's the passing game coordinator on defense. He is a Michigan State alum. And would be an outside-the-box thought for Jonathan Smith. He's currently uh, corners in defensive passing game at Oregon. But former Spartan, he's never been a play caller at the defensive coordinator uh, level. So it would be a new one for him. But any of those names stand out to you? Jimmy Lake, Demetrius Martin, Jim Leonard, or Mike Tressel among the possible candidates to be Jonathan Smith's defensive coordinator? Now, Lake was at Washington when Jonathan Smith was at Washington. So they obviously have that comfortability with each other. I, I think that's an interesting name because think back to those Washington teams. We think of Washington now, it's all about the offense. But, you know, back when Jimmy Lake was the defensive coordinator, that defense was nasty. And they were producing NFL guys year after year, defensive line, defensive backs. Uh, they were a nasty defense. And then Jim Leonard, I think, you know, he's one of those guys where I think any Power 5 school would be happy to have him as your defensive coordinator. I think this is a really important decision for Jonathan Smith who he wants as his defense coordinator. I kind of feel like they need to have some Midwest ties. And I don't know, I don't know how important it is, but I do think they got to have one of their coordinators have Midwest ties. So I think Jim Leonard is probably would be my number one choice. Now it is interesting to hear these names because uh, what we learned at the press conference today of Trent Bray, he was offered to defensive coordinator job. He declined it. Yeah, I truly believe we can, we can continue to build a leader uh, winner here. Um, I think we've proven to, over the last couple of years to be capable of doing that. Um, I found out real late in the process, um, you know, and, and it, it didn't sit quite right with me, which is why I was in a, in a hurry to get on the plane when he asked me to go. Um, and then when I was presented this opportunity, I, I stayed even longer and wanted to hear this out and see where this could go and uh, best decision I've made. But a huge decision, I think, for Jonathan Smith because the way he wants to play, physicality, run the football, slow it down, 
you need a good defense for that. You need a good defense coordinator to go with that type of mentality. So I think this is a big choice for Jonathan Smith. I think my choice would be Jim Leonard just because he has the Midwest ties, but Jimmy Lake is a interesting name there because he was a good defense coordinator. Number three. You watch NASCAR? Uh, no. No, Bob. Me, me neither. But NASCAR got a new meteorites deal, something the Pac-12 couldn't Come get. Come on, Pac-12. <laughs> NASCAR has added two new partners in streaming elements. Seven-year meteorites deal worth $7.7 billion. And you're telling me there's no money for the Pac-12 out there? Wah, wah, wah. It's a, it, it includes a $1.1 billion agreement with the CW. Dude, the CW. We joked about that. I don't that. know what the hell's going on with CW, but they are making waves in sports media. We joked about that with the Pac-12. So I guess that's what's going on. Maybe the Pac-12 should have gone to the CW or Twitch. Or Ion. Isn't that where I watch my Saturday morning cartoons? CW? Or used to? I don't the know. The cartoon wet work? I don't know. Wet work? Uh, the kid, kids don't watch TV for cartoons now. They just go to YouTube. Oh. At least my kids. They Did you used to do Saturday morning cartoons? Uh, no. Followed by Ahmad Rashad and NBA oh, Inside, inside stuff. Summer Sanders? Yeah. I don't remember Sanders. You don't, Summer Sanders? Summer Sanders, the Olympian? Oh, hold on. Yeah, the Olympian, Summer Sanders. She was awesome. Yeah, Ahmad Rashad, Inside Stuff, all that. That's, that's a great show. I, I wasn't a big cartoon guy in the morning. I watched. Some oh Nin- yeah, I remember Summer Sanders. I watched some Ninja Turtles back in the day. I was a big Ninja Turtles guy. We watched those Dino Riders. That was old school. We had that on the VHS. I remember Summer Sanders. <laughs> but kids nowadays, they don't watch. They don't watch cartoons on TV. They just watch YouTube. They just watch guys play Minecraft and run around like psychos, and they scream the whole time. And it's. Do you think that's her real name? Summer. Summer Sanders. Yeah. All right, just checking. Got to be, right? It's a good name. <laughs> NASCAR, though, big deal. I mean, 7.7 billion. I mean, I guess down south is a way bigger deal than here in Portland. It's just a lot. It's a lot to accept. It just makes me think there was money out there for the back 12 and Klyovkov sucks more. Everything goes back to Klyovkov's the worst. Do you think he does a press conference Friday? No. <laughs> I think he's collecting checks and going to be retired soon. Number four. All right, Heisman Trophy odds. It's really a two-man race. Bo Nix and Jaden Daniels to be uh, the two front runners to win the 2023 Heisman Trophy. Bo Nix at minus 160 at DraftKings. Jaden Daniels plus 130. Michael Penix Jr. all the way at plus 1600. So it's Bo Nix v. Jaden Daniels for the Heisman Trophy, at least according to DraftKings. Again, minus 160 for Nix, plus 130 for Daniels. Smarter to make the Daniels bet now or wait until after the Pac-12 title game? Or what do you think? Do you think there's people out there that will already be voting for Jaden Daniels before Friday's Pac-12 title game? I do. I think there's going to be a lot of people outside of the West Coast that will be voting for Jane Daniels no matter what. But there's also going to be some that are waiting for this Pac-12 title game, and if Bo Nix can win, he gets the he gets the Heisman nod. I also think this, Judah, tell me what you think about this. There's a lot of people down in the South that just don't like Bo Nix because he wasn't very good. He kind of failed out of Auburn, and they were going to hold that against him when they vote for the Heisman Trophy. 
they're going to hold that against him because yeah. their culture was crap yes. for three years. Yeah. Mm, good to know. I don't know. That's just that's a thought I had. I don't know. I think Bo Nix deserves it. I think Bo Nix should be the Heisman as long as Oregon wins. If Oregon wins this game, I think Bo Nix should win the Heisman. Oregon should be in the college football playoff. Now, I'm also a little biased. I uh, I bought up a little Bo Nix to win the Heisman 24 and a half to one after Oregon lost the Washington game. I saw that very clearly. I thought Oregon's going to win out and Bo Nix going to have a big season. So I think Bo Nix should win. But uh, Jane Daniels, it's very interesting also that nowadays with the Heisman, Judah, it's a lot of transfers. I mean, these, this, the transfer portal is so big. I mean, Jane Daniels starts at Arizona State. Now he's there. Bo Nix, obviously, Auburn to Oregon. Michael Penix Jr., Indiana to Washington. Like, you can get the best player in college football in the transfer portal. That's why when Matt Rule says, you know, guys are going for $6, 7000000 million, it is so important to get your NIL ready. I mean, college football is just such a different game now. So I think I think Nix wins the Heisman because I think Oregon wins the game on Friday. But I do think if Oregon loses, if they stumble, or if Bo Nix has an average game to below average game, Jane Day has a chance to win this thing. Number five. Well, Oregon State women's basketball had a game today, and they defeated Weber State 79-53. to uh, Beavers outpaced the Wildcats from the game's opening tip and coasted to victory. Reagan Beers led the Beavers with 24 points, 12 rebounds, five straight double-doubles for her. But the most notable piece from this victory is Oregon State head coach Scott Ruick becomes the winningest coach in Oregon State women's basketball history in front of a raucous crowd of 8,400 people uh, today in, uh, in Corvallis. Uh, Scott Ruick gets the win, his 275th as Oregon State's head coach, winning his coach in program history. I mean, awesome. You know, going from George Fox to Oregon State, I mean, you got to give it up for Scott Ruick. You know, Hillsboro, Oregon, I mean, just so cool. Um, And his mom called in for the BFT Foundation. She donated money, so I'm a big Scott Ruick guy. He, Love he, Scott Ruick. He's a great coach, man, so... Congratulations. Although to I him. thought he was already the winningest coach in program history. I'll yeah. be honest. Well, now he's got it. But now he is. Now we know for sure that he's got it. Yeah. 275. That's a big number. That is a big number. A lot of dubs. Continue rolling that over, man. Get back to the final four. That'd be awesome, man. I I, I love the I mean, him and uh, Kelly Graves, I mean, they brought the Oregon women's programs back from the dead. And now they are thriving and you see women's basketball in the state. It's just uh, it's a big deal now. It well it, it's been a big deal. They they uh They've got it. They need to build it back up to where it was like five, six years ago, too. Yeah, you know, there's still room, uh, room to grow. Love it, man. Both of those things. That's five and five. Great job, Judah Newby. Yes, nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, all right. When we come back, we'll talk about some of these point spreads in the uh, upcoming college football playoff potential games. Those are out if they are, you know, potential look ahead lines. Very interesting things between Oregon, Michigan, Georgia, all these teams. What the spreads would be? Maybe a little closer than you think. We'll talk about those on the Bald Face Truth on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. One of my favorite things in the world is gambling. Gambling on 18 to 22-year-olds. College sports, college basketball, college football, whatever. Give me some gambling on these games. So I love a little look-ahead lines here. Um, You know, basically my order of favorite things. Kids probably probably that's eh, wife one, kids two, gambling three. <laughs> Maybe not even that order. Maybe change the order around a little bit. But those are my favorite things. So uh, Chris Felica, the Bear, 
he tweeted out some hypothetical lines that he had got from Chris Andrews, a longtime bookmaker down in Las Vegas. Um, and some of these Judah are very interesting for who or what the lines could be in potential college football playoff games. I want to start with this one. Oregon and Georgia. We talked about it a little bit earlier in the show, but if somehow Oregon and Georgia were to play each other, think about last season. Game number one. Dan Lanning's first game as a head coach. Bo Nick's first game in Oregon. Georgia coming off the national championship. That spread was around, you know, it started around 14. It might have got a little higher by kickoff. Georgia goes and just stomps Oregon, 49 to 3. Now we look a, almost two years later, potential college football playoff matchup. According to Chris Andrews, Georgia would be a one point favorite over the Oregon Ducks. Oof. Minus one against the Ducks. I think that shows hmm. is that too much credit or does that just show how much Dan Lane has improved this team in you know two years? I like I think that's about right. I think Oregon should be there with Georgia. I really do. I think neutral site, you think it's one? Neutral site. I mean, if this game's played at the Rose Bowl, one point. Give you me. don't think Oregon would have any problems with Georgia's defense? I mean, I think they would, obviously. I think it'd be oh, okay. a, I think it'd be a great game. I don't think Oregon goes in and rolls them. <laughs> I don't think Oregon rolls them, but I don't I don't think this spread is wrong. Like I think one I think one is about right. I think Oregon Oregon, Michigan, Georgia, I think are the top three teams, and I don't really think it's that close. I think there's a tier after that. I don't know. I feel like we're I feel like we're underselling Georgia just because they haven't played in many big games. They could very easily go out there Saturday and schwack Bama with no problems whatsoever. That spread has and been that moving spread up goes from one to six and a half. If Oregon struggles with UW in any way, and give me Oregon in that situation. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, I'm giving you five and a half points of value allegedly, but I don't know. I'm just I think one is a little rich. Who has Oregon really? played and looked good against yet besides you know the UW game where they lost that is the problem you see what I'm saying here like and you know you could say something similar about UGA best wins Mizzou Kentucky Ole Miss depending on what you think about Ole Miss but at the same time I mean I feel like a one point spread you really think there would be even money on both sides like if you're if you're setting a line you're trying to set it so you can get pretty Equal, you know, ticket numbers and, and money numbers. Get equal money on both sides. You really think it would be equal money on Georgia minus one in Oregon? I don't. I, I think that so, would get bet up to maybe even three. And, and I, I would wait for that and then maybe play the Duckies. Right. I just think if I'm handicapping the game, I would say it's – I would I would put it as a pickup. Like, that's, that's the way I see the game. What about if it's – does the venue matter? No. Sugar I don't. Bowl? That's going to be packed with Georgia fans. You don't think There's Duck fans be, are showing out for that? They will. They will try. I, I mean, I don't know how ticket allocation works. Does it have to be 50-50? I don't think so. They played them in Atlanta the other day. The other day, meaning August of 2022. <laughs> but The other year. That was what, like, you know, 75-25, 70-30? But there's a that different wasn't, spot, That wasn't man. really a neutral, neutral site game. I don't know. You give me Georgia, Oregon, and the Sugar Bowl in a semi- Oh, I still I think one is a little too tight for me. I would say Georgia three and a half. Yeah, I, that's fair. I just but maybe, these are the biggest games of the season for both of these teams but I, this I do, weekend. So we're gonna we're gonna see if that number moves at all. I do depending th- on how this weekend looks. I do think what the takeaway from this is just 
Oregon is getting a lot of respect, whether it's by the committee, whether it's by Vegas, whether it's by analysts, whether it's by me. Like, I think Oregon is getting the respect that the Pac-12 hasn't gotten in a long time, right? Like, usually the Pac-12 gets downgraded. I think the Pac-12, and it's been like this all season long, they're actually getting their their credit. And I think that plays into the fact of why I think Oregon is going to make the college football playoff with a win, no matter how they win. If it's a close game, if it's a blowout, I think Oregon gets in. I, I think that the nation and the committee and everybody is giving the Pac-12 a lot of credit, as they should. It's been a really good conference this season in its final season. And I think this kind of just proves it. This is a, you know, Vegas thinks it's a one-point spread. Now, you're probably right, and I don't know. I don't know that's for sure, but that spread probably goes up in Georgia's favor. But the opening line being one, I think, is very interesting and shows a lot of credit to the Ducks. Let me ask you this. What's, say Oregon makes the playoff. What's the semifinal that you want to see? What's the four-team field that you want to see that involves the Ducks? Do you want to see them as a four-seed against a one-seed Georgia in presumably the Sugar Bowl? Or would you like to see them as a three-seed against like a two-seed Michigan in it's probably, the Rose Bowl. It's probably going to be Michigan or Georgia, right? Like, that's probably Oregon's opponent in the first round. Probably. Oh, man. I think Assuming I, that Michigan obviously dominates Iowa, which they will, and Georgia beats Alabama, which we'll see. If I'm a Duck fan, am I crazy to think I'd rather play Georgia? Am I crazy? Than Michigan? A little <laughs> bit. I'd rather play Michigan. I don't know. I'd yeah. rather play Michigan in the Rose Bowl and tell them, show them what's up. Yeah. I think Georgia's defense is just getting slept on still. That And that's possible. Like, because they haven't really, you know, ha- had to be tested. And then, you know, to be fair, Oregon would test them. But... And Ben, the, the fact that they're they seen Bo Nicks again. They saw him a bunch at Auburn. They saw him last year. They're going to see him a third. Uh, yeah, granted, it's definitely the best version of Bo Nix. But there's a ton of familiarity there, and I'm not sure sure that it favors Oregon. I think it favors Georgia in that case. That's a tough, yeah, it's a tough spot, man. I I don't know Harbaugh coming back. I kind of think Michigan is feels like they're I'd the team of destiny. Harbaugh. The team of destiny. They're everyone against Michigan. Wouldn't you like to see the Big Ten Pac-12 matchup in the Rose Bowl? I would. I, the I kind of don't you think they're kind of trying to set that up? Like I think I, so because George because John said that you get to pick the site as the one seed. And, they, and if it's Georgia, they would definitely... They'll pick Sugar Sugar. Yeah. D- would it surprise you if Florida State wins, even? Florida State's the four seed, Oregon the three seed, and then they go Michigan, Oregon, in the Rose Bowl? That makes a lot of sense. That'd be so sick. That makes a ton of sense. It'd be so sick to end it that way. And then where is the title this year? Houston? Yeah, I don't have got that far yet. I think it's at Houston. Man, one point spread. If you're a Duck fan, are you buying a ticket to Houston yet? No. Yes. No, I am. I am. If I'm a diehard Duck fan, I am. I believe in this team. I really think this team is really good, Judah. I I, I think they are just as good as Georgia and Michigan. The point spread says it. And guess what? The look headline for Oregon-Michigan. You want to give that one a guess? Oregon-Michigan neutral site. Neutral site. Oregon-Georgia was Georgia minus one. I think it would be Oregon minus one. Oregon minus two. Wow. Versus Michigan. Wow. Basically, Vegas says Oregon is the second-best team in the nation right now. That's why you believe them. I do. I do. I think I think you could argue Georgia, Michigan, Oregon, any order you want, top three. I think after that, it's a pretty 
significant downfall. Biggest reason for this respect is what? Bo Nix, Dan Lanning, the defense? The domination. They just I think it's the defense, right? Oregon's offense has always been good, but the defense has been superb this season, and it's turned games into absolute blowouts where, like, look at last week against Oregon State. Oregon wins that game by 30-plus points. It didn't feel that close. I mean, that felt like a 50-point win, and they've had numerous games like that where Oregon has won by 20, 30 points, but it feels like more. I mean, it just they stomp your throat, and you just can't breathe. You backdoor them, or you backdoor them in the two. But they've only—I mean—they've only lost two <laughs> games against the spread this year. So it's like they have been dominant, basically every game besides the Texas That's Tech true. game. They have not been tested. The Texas Tech game was they the one game really tested by any team since you dub. Yes, but is that a is that, that just Texas Tech game is weird in retrospect, isn't it? They did not have a great year, and I believe they were six and six maybe yeah. in the season. But like. Is that is that more of Oregon's schedule wasn't as good? Because we talked about this going into the year. Like, the Oregon schedule set up pretty nicely for him, or is it just Oregon's that good? I mean, either Well, way. Oregon definitely got better since the Texas Tech game. And, 100%. you know, Nick's almost threw a game-ending pick in the end zone in that Texas Tech game. Like, they got pretty fortunate to, to win that one in the manner in which they did. But it's easy to see that one in retrospect and be like, oh, wow, that was way too close of a victory. Texas Tech is not that good of a team. But at the time, like, that was a huge, huge win for Oregon when they absolutely needed it most. But they went in as, like, a six-and-a-half-point favorite, didn't they? Yeah. It was almost a touchdown favorite for Oregon on the road. And I didn't know how I felt about that. And they needed that Jeffrey Bossa, you know, the doorless strip sack Bossa pick six to cover. It's a miracle cover if you had the Ducks laying the points in that game in Lubbock even though he should have just gone down because that would have ended the game. Um, but I had Oregon. And, Trust me. Yeah, it was you a had Oregon, cover. which, you know, that's uh, justice for having Oregon in the Washington State game the year before, mm. which is a tough, tough luck loss. <laughs> yes. Tough loss for you as a better. <laughs> but uh, even though Wazoo was the right side all game. But, yeah, Texas Tech finished 6-6. Six and six, And uh, I think Shuck played most of the games. I honestly didn't uh, watch a lot of Texas Tech. He was hurt. He was hurt for most of the season. Oh, he got hurt again. Yeah. Surprise. You know, surprise, surprise. He got hurt in, oh, late September. So, yeah, I I take it back. He did not play uh, much of the year. So, um, it's a weird, I mean, it's just, it was a weird spot back in week two. We talked about it, especially with Texas Tech coming off a loss to Wyoming. Like, you knew they were showing up for that game. And they played well. But Oregon, I think, has improved so much since that game. And I, I just go back to the Washington game where they lose. Oregon was the better team in that ball game. They, they should have won that game. If they would have converted one fourth down, they win that football game. And they go over four, wasn't it? Over four and fourth downs. Like that's I don't. That's not going to happen again. I mean, the, the odds of that happening just will not happen. So I don't know. I think this Duck team is really good. And on the other side here, some look headlines. If Washington were to win, Judah. Uh, we talked about Oregon, Georgia, Georgia being a one point favorite, Oregon taking on Michigan, Oregon being a two point favorite of Michigan. If it's Washington taking on Georgia, according to Chris Andrews, Georgia, a 10 point favorite over the Huskies. If Michigan were to face Washington, maybe in a Rose Bowl, that'd be a fun game as well. Michigan, a seven point favorite over the Huskies, which is wow. Which that makes me feel like it's a Jake Browning Huskies team. When you think about it, it's a nine point difference between the Ducks and the Huskies in both of those spreads. Yep. Yep. Which no, means all, Oregon is nine computer. point favorites. Yeah. So Yeah, exactly. No, they're they're just, you know, copy and pasting the nine point difference between Oregon and Washington to the other, you know, Washington, Georgia, Washington, Michigan matchups. And those are different matchups. There's probably different values on each side, but 
I mean, Washington has the weakest defense of that quadruple, without yeah. question, and that, that will probably manifest itself. Whereas back in the day when Washington went to the playoff in 16 and Jonathan Smith was the offensive coordinator, you know, they were all defense. They didn't right. have as Jimmy much. Lake. It's Jimmy Lake's defense, and they didn't have much of a, an offense that could really breathe against Alabama in that one-versus-four game. So, yeah, that it's a different Washington team now and this year. I I think Oregon being a one-point underdog to Georgia, like at this point, is a little bit too close for me. Like I would probably say Georgia three-and-a-half, especially if it's in the Sugar Bowl. But at the same time, that gives you a sense, that gives you a picture of the perception of Oregon Duck football right now across the country and in Vegas in the betting markets. And you got to pay attention to that stuff because, man, like – the the new season starts now for Oregon. You know, they could absolutely go to the national championship game, maybe win the whole dang thing, if you think that Vegas is right with some of these points spread projections. You're, and you're, I think you talked to me into it. I think you'd rather play Michigan. If I'm an Oregon fan, I'd rather play Michigan in the first round and try to hope Georgia gets upset. Georgia's, Georgia's the team you want to play last. Play Michigan in the Rose Bowl yeah. rather than Georgia in the Sugar. Yeah. Probably, I would agree with that. I think you ran on that. But then play Georgia in Houston for all the marbles. So the odds do have Michigan as the betting favorite to win the national championship, but that has a lot to do with this week's game against Iowa, where they should win for sure. And Georgia has a much tougher opponent in Alabama. Alabama or Georgia is the second favorite, followed by Oregon, who was the third favorite to win the national title. Some fun things, man. Friday's gonna be fun. I, I just, again, I go back to this. I hope Oregon wins, and I just hope Louisville can beat Florida State. If that happens, man, you don't got to worry about it. Why isn't Louisville favored? Because Florida State's good. They're still good. The quarterback's unproven. And it's Louisville. Not like Lamar Jackson, Louisville. Will Stein, Louisville. You know who the quarterback is of Louisville, right? Um... Uh... Uh... No, no, no. Former Pac-12 quarterback. Oh, don't tell me. What, what, uh, north or south? <laughs> south. He was in the Pac 12 a season ago. At a, Khalil uh, Tate. Oh, good poll. No. Uh, Cal's quarterback last season. Not a Garbers. Jack Plummer. Oh, that's right. That's why Louisville's not favored. I thought Plummer was at Purdue. He was, and then he went to Cal, and now he's, he's at Louisville. He's twice removed from Purdue already. Yes. But there's your answer of why Louisville's not favored over Florida State, because Jack Plummer is their quarterback. He's fine, but should he be favored in an ACC championship game? Probably not. All right. All right. Come on, Louisville. Just do it. Do it for everybody, Louisville. Come on. That way you get Oregon in, get the best four teams in, because we know Florida State's not one of them. But You don't want to make Herbie drop more F-bombs. Ooh, I would love Herbie to drop more F-bombs. He should have dropped an F-bomb on this program when he was talking to JC. That would have been great. I would have loved that. That would have been fun. All right, well, uh... We'll take a break here. When we come back, we will wrap the show up. Stephen Vaughn, Judah Newby, and for John Canzano, Bald Face Truth. Bald Face Truth, Stephen Vaughn, Judah Newby filling in for John Canzano. JC's down in Vegas, getting ready for the Pac-12 title game. But even though he's not hosting the show, he's always uh, breaking a little news here. John Canzano, our very own, he tweets out that Oregon State head coach Trent Bray, newly named, will make $2 million per year for five years and he will have the same assistant coaches pool of $4.85 million for the assistant coaches. So the Beavs in total will be saving $2.85 million versus what they were giving Jonathan Smith. So Trent Bray, five years, $10 million contract for the new head coach of the Oregon State Beavers, Judah. 
Doesn't seem like um, a lot compared to Smith, of course, but that's the, you know, you get to afford to save a little money when you're hiring a first-time head coach and promoting from within. It's still a big jump in pay from what he was getting as defensive coordinator. I think the same salary pool for the assistants is notable, and uh, hopefully he can start to uh, get some of the big-time assistants that he wants into those jobs. But look, let's just, it's still, it's funny, like, they're going to hit the ground running in a way with all the continuity, but we can't forget that this is it, it's not a full-fledged rebuild but they are doing some renovating here you know that like not, not maybe like the full-fledged Reezer Stadium West Side re- renovation but this is going to take a little bit of time for Bray to get his stamp on this program so the idea that they're just going to go in and compete and you know put him into the playoff next year in the 12 team field I'm not quite there I'm not quite there. I got to see what kind of talent is still left in the cupboard when all the dust settles from the portal, et cetera. Yeah, I do think it is notable, like you said, the assistant coaches pool, same amount, because I, I think it's going to be important for Trey Bray, especially to bring in someone that has some type of experience that can, he can lean on a little bit, right? You know, being a first year head coach, I think that's important to get really good coordinators in there on the offensive side. He's talked about that. How he needs to get a really good offensive coordinator in there. I would have said just hire Bobby Petrino, but you know he's off the board. Oh, he's back in uh, he's back in Arkansas. How about that, <laughs> Bobby Petrino? It tells you what if you can coach, <sighs> if you can coach in college football, there is a spot for you, no matter what you are, unless you are Art Bryles, K- who is the devil. K- KJ Jefferson's in the portal, as is Grayson McCall. Grayson McCall, I, it's amazing that Grayson McCall is still playing. Do you think he was in the portal last year? And went back to Coastal Carolina. Didn't he say, what did he say? He says, like, he, he pisses teal. teal. Is that what he said? I piss teal. Um, I don't know. Maybe. I think that I think that's the quote I saw from McMurphy. Or Ballsack Sports, one of the two. Um, you think DJ comes back? I don't know. It's a weird one. It is. We got to figure out who the OC is. Like, if, you, if you're Trent, do you shell out money for the OC? Or do you make sure a couple of these guys stay in Corvallis that otherwise could have gone to Michigan State, like some of the guys that are there already? Well, who would you rather keep, DJ or Aiden Childs? You'd rather keep Aiden Childs, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no question. Yeah, I mean, I don't... It depends. I mean, it's, I'm kind it, of Aiden assuming Childs, Aiden's already gone. I do, too. But I think if you're DJ, it's not a terrible ending spot. Now that Damian Martinez is going to be back, like, lean on that run game, Jack Valley and him and uh, DJ had a nice little connection. But he's set. He said that one of the main reasons he picked Oregon State was the system. The system's gone. Jonathan, Brian, Machalchek, they're out. Waz, they're gone. That's why it's so, the, the I, no hire is going to be important. Well, yeah, but I mean, unless it's like Kyle Shanahan, I don't know who they're going to hire to that DJ would be like, yeah, I want to stick around. Do the Niners do have some like, uh, you know, if low they level, do, low level coach. That's, if they do, he's already being hired by some NFL team right now. If it, Mike McDaniel, Bobby Slowick, you know the list keeps going on. It's insane, the brain drain that the 49ers have had on offense over the last five years. It's crazy. But the Beavs, you know, could and be defense. Beavs would be rolling in some money. The Pac-12 settlement, you know, maybe get some money from there. Now they're saving a couple mil. I do wonder. Yeah, that's in the back of my mind. Can they shell out for? Well, I guess you know the the pool is what it is for for assistance, but can they shell out for like a kind of a big name? They kind of have to. If I think they, Mike if, Riley would come back, if they <laughs> Dennis Harrison, if they <laughs> if they do what they say they do, Scott Barnes said they're Power Five conference. Trent Bray says they're all in. They got to spend money, 
right? Like they ha- they're going to have this extra money. If they really want to get back to one of these conferences, they have to spend money. I just, I really want to see an A-lister at the play caller. I don't know who that's going to be, but that's what I'm, that's the next domino that I'm, I'm looking on. And maybe, maybe not A-lister. Maybe that's too ambitious, but someone that moves the needle as yeah. a play caller on offense, that would be pretty cool. Cliff Kingsbury. I don't know. I'm sure you will uh, be hearing from John Canzano on this, on this front. I check, hope so. Check out his Twitter account. Check out johnconzano.com. I'm sure he'll be coming out with a list of uh, offensive coordinator candidates for the Beavs because that's going to be a great hire. No matter who, you know, it's they an get, important. It's hire. an important hire. They got to get somebody great in there because Trent Bray's going to run that defense, but they need the offense. They need to get some guys in there to uh, hold on to it. So, with that, I want to thank everybody. Thank John. Thank Judah for all the help today. Uh, thank all the listeners. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with a guest host. Exciting mm. news! Exciting news! Friday though, Pac-12 championship. Can't wait. Stephen Von Judy Newby, Ball Face Truth.